Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. In this podcast, I'm helping you level up your communication skills every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Today, we are back for Unapologetic Truths, episode seven, featuring Life Math Money, Harsh Strongman. How's it going? Hey, Arman. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. And can you believe it's already episode seven? Time flies, man. Yeah. And since our last conversation, I had one of our listeners leave a few comments of questions that he wanted me to ask you mm-hmm. for to be exact. So throughout our conversation, I'm going to be sprinkling in these questions. Sound good? Sounds good. How would I open with the first question? So this person asked, when Harsh looks back on his journey from 16-year-old to 25, what decisions and thinking have played a role in shaping him today? I would say the biggest thing I did that really helped spur all the change was going to the gym. So back at 14, 15, I was very lothy. I would I would just not exercise at all. I was kind of a nerd. I would only focus on studies. I was not good at sports at all. And at 16, I just decided to go to the gym because it was close to my house. And, you know, my mother kind of pushed me to go in the gym. And everything started to fall into place as my testosterone and my health improved. My motivation to improve other aspects of my life also went up. I started to eat better. I was more consistent with everything. I wanted to be better than everybody. Not in a very comparative way, in the sense that I wanted I wanted to prove myself that, yes, I could be something. So I think that was one of the biggest changes that I ever made in my life. Then there were certain blogs that I used to read back then. And as of right now, all of these blogs are dead. They're no longer available on the internet. But the mm-hmm. first blog that I was reading was dangerandplay.com, which red-pilled me. Basically, it introduced me to the red pill and it helped me fix my mindset. So I don't know many, I don't know if you people know this, or if, I think I have spoken about it on Twitter once or twice a long time ago. So I would say most people do not know it. But when I was 14, 15, I used to be this raging atheist, liberal, you know, the same thing. I was essentially getting my viewpoint shaped by websites like 9gag and you know all the internet memes where everyone is pro-gay and pro-LGBT, extremely liberal. Everyone's an atheist and people make fun of anyone who follows a religion. So I used to be that guy. And I was essentially very low T back then my testosterone levels were probably close to zero at 14 because I was just not active at all. Like you could think that I would at 14 years old, I would go to school. I would come back and I would play video games all day. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my life. So going to the gym helped me fix my body and my health and reading danger and play helped me improve my mindset. Then the other blogs that I used to read were uh, Bold and Determined, which is also closed now, not available on the internet. 
by Victor Pride, right? By Victor Pride, yes. And Bold and Determined's blog, Victor Pride's blog, got me into writing in the sense that his work motivated me to start Life Math Money. So had it not been for BND, LMM would not exist. And the third blog that I used to read, which is also dead now, is Wall Street Playboys. And that blog helped me. It improved my business skills quite a bit. So I was able to get into business and entrepreneurship much earlier than everyone else. So yeah, those have been my biggest influences in my uh, late teens, basically from ages 16 to say 19. After 21, I don't think I have read any of those blogs much. Although interestingly, I have done business with all of those bloggers now except for oh, Mike Swinovich. Really? Yeah, so I've done business with Victor Pride. And I have also interacted quite a bit with the WSP blog guys. Did so, they ever say why they stopped blogging? They rebranded to Bowtie Bull and now they're making crypto content. Gotcha. Yeah, Harsh, I've known you for some time and I would have never been able to expect you being atheist or highly liberal before? It was a phrase in the sense that when I was 14, 15, you know, after like the age of 12 or 13, you mm -hmm. essentially end up being raised by the people around you and not by your parents. That is that teenagers, especially teen boys, after the age of 12, 13, they will start rejecting their parents and they will start rebelling by taking up, by essentially taking more opinions from their friends and the people around them than by listening to their parents. So by age, at age 12, I was not an atheist or a liberal or anything like that. But at age 13, 14, I was spending more time on the internet and mm -hmm. more time with say my school friends, college friends, and you know what it does to people, right? You, you basically become like the people you surround yourself with. Right. When I was in the college of engineering, for example, most of the students there, they were extremely logical. For them, the whole idea of a creator was completely nonsensical. They're like, well, you can't logically prove to me that God exists. You're an idiot if you believe this. And in College of Engineering, most of the engineers studied in a place called the fishbowl. I don't know why they called it that. I think it's because they had all the different flags from around the world in one location. Mm -hmm. That's my guess. But there would be heated debates between the atheists and people who believed in God. And the people who believed in God were great engineering students as well. And it was fascinating to see how these two different groups were just debating nonstop. And I'm like, man, I got an exam to study for. But from <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be listening to them. And I mean, both parties made a great case. I mean, if you're extremely logical, I could see the perspective of the atheist. But for me, I was trying to stay out of it. And nowadays, you know, as I'm older, I'm, I understand the point of view of atheists, but it's something that I just don't agree with. Yet, so, some of my friends... What are the strongest arguments that you have heard that favor God existing? Well, it's just in terms of creation. If you understand the prospect of creation, 
things being created out of the blue moon is just not something that I find to be logical in itself. But uh, when these atheists were making the case for their point of view, they were like, well, we're not saying that either. We're just saying we don't know. Oh, that, and is if, that is agnostic. Well, so atheist yeah, so is I, someone who believes God doesn't exist. A theist is someone who believes God does exist. And an agnostic is someone who says that I don't know. Yeah, so I guess they were more so agnostics in the engineering age uh, w- when I was in college. But most people wouldn't call themselves that. They wanted to be a little bit more edgier and be like, nope, I'm a flat out atheist. And I had nothing uh, personally wrong with them. However, in terms of creation, I always believed that there needs to be a source. And from that source, life is possible. And we see it all around us, even with circuitry, for example. Let's say we have a TV remote. This TV remote needs the battery. And the battery is that source that allows everything else to function. It allows the electrons to move. It allows the resistors to work. And when you're creating a circuit for the first time ever, and you're seeing the battery breathe life into this item, Mm -hmm. it starts making you think, man, what's my battery? What's giving me life? And that is when I was seeing a bigger case for God. And it's not something that you could strangely just logically explain. It's something that's experiential as well. Mm, because logically what you said well the logical it doesn't work the logic is flawed because are you familiar with the concept of induction like proof by induction so let's let's say that everything needs a creator okay and god created the world okay then then wouldn't god himself also need a creator then who created god and then wouldn't that thing, creature, human, person, God, squared, also need a creator? And then who created that? And then wouldn't that thing also need a creator? So well, no, and it he, kind of, it, if, if the argument is that everything needs a creator, then you essentially get into an infinite loop. Or not, you get into an infinite series where one person needs another person behind it, who needs another person behind it, who needs another person behind it. So you don't have a base case. Well, here's the thing, Harsh. Most of these religions and spiritualities, which bring up the case for God, they're saying this God is beyond space, time, and causation. So causation is cause and effect. So if this is beyond causation, the act of asking, where is this God from? Isn't this, isn't there a creator before this creator? Is not a rational question. But Arman, then can't you then claim anything? For example, there is a big potato and that potato is beyond space and time. So if you say the potato does not exist, then that's not a rational question. See, if you ban the question, then there is nothing to converse about. So if you say you can't even ask this question and asking the question makes you irrational, then I can say that about anything. So I can say that I am the king of the world or I am God. And if you disagree, then that would make you irrational because then I'm beyond space and time. And I don't even have to prove that I'm God or give you any 
evidence and you you're just supposed to believe it do you get me i'm just i see what you're saying so I, i'm not an atheist i do see the advantages of believing in god and i definitely get it i do believe in god not logically but emotionally if you get what i mean i, I don't intellectually believe there's a god but i emotionally do believe there's a god because i find that belief system to be helpful for me so i think that logic although it leads you to say a better conclusion that is that conclusion isn't helpful though for example you know there are many things and many times in your life where a belief in god will actually help you overcome a lot that atheism will not so believing in god is useful even though it might logically be incorrect so the reason i believe in god emotionally is for its utility but i do not intellectually think that there is a god and although i can give you arguments for both sides okay so let's say the argument for atheists is that god doesn't exist well then the question is what exists so arman do you have free will can you think for yourself and what these atheists will typically do is they will ask you if god exists then prove it so let me ask you arman do you have free will do you are you a real person and not a robot yes do you think i am a real person and not a robot yes then prove it i see what you're saying so i can see the argument for both sides but mm-hmm. my take is just that i i i don't logically believe that there is a god in the sense that from an intellectual perspective i lean towards atheism but from a utility and emotional and a practical perspective i am someone who does believe in a god well the thing harsh is back to the space time causation example we have to in my opinion to understand the discussion for god have to be able to understand certain flaws in logic as well where yes at times we can use logic but whenever we're getting to the core of a subject we have to ask where the logic is stemming from do you see what i'm saying where cultural beliefs can influence someone's logic so if this is something that we're going to say is the end all be all then we have to see if logic in itself is flawed or if it's the perfect way to perceive information and what plenty of religions they're saying is that there is something that is beyond just the dimension of logic in itself so that's where the space time causation argument comes in where not everything is bound by the rules of cause and effect there's another element beyond that maybe but i struggle to understand how that conclusion leads to a god in the sense that okay let's say that there's another dimension beyond ours but maybe there are 20 gods maybe there is no god there how do we know that it it just like see speaking from a rational point of view it seems to me that 
there is first the concept of a god and then there are explanations that are put forth to support it rather than the other way around so mm-hmm. you would ideally want to first find some sort of credence to the idea and then conclude the idea like it doesn't have to be evidence it can even be empirical evidence or you know some kind of anecdotal evidence it doesn't have to be hard evidence but to me it seems like this is something that is they've already come up with the conclusion they want and now they're looking for how to support that conclusion and it's leading them to more and more absurd theories mhm so let me give you an example real quick see this is where i'm trying to keep it basic because i don't want to go super into virtual um um what do you call it virtual reality information systems and try to go too logical into it but let me give you an example real quick harsh mhm you as life math money right now mm-hmm. right let's say you are the source you have created a blog a twitter account and youtube videos mm-hmm. correct so there is an independent reality and there is a dependent reality the dependent reality are the tweets blogs and youtube videos are you life math money able to exist without the tweets youtube videos and blogs yes yes so you are the independent reality however are the tweets blogs and youtube videos capable of existing without you no correct so that is the dependent reality so the fundamental difference between atheism and i wouldn't even say religion but the need for a creator is saying that we ourselves are dependent upon another entity now here's the thing life math money tweets life math money blogs life math money youtube videos they can go so far but there's just a limited amount of perception that they have because they cannot perceive you you are just a different being where these are just extensions of you and to take it even a level further to keep holding this analogy to ourselves our body and our mind what i'm trying to say is is it dependent upon something else sort of like your tweets youtube videos and blogs are dependent on you are us as human beings dependent on something else mm, that's an interesting it's just a, way of putting it's it. just a yeah it's just a thought experiment harsh and there's a lot of different thought experiments that you can take where you know if you want we could be talking about this topic for some time uh just to give you one more example okay mm-hmm. um i know you don't watch tv but entertain me on this real quick when you're watching tv do you recall the last thing that you watched in the sense the last second of it I, well the last tv show uh, did you like a cricket match or something yeah i can do that for youtube sometimes not always okay so with youtube as you're watching youtube you see the screen right you see the screen and within the screen there's a game of cricket that's being played once again 
what is the independent reality? That's the screen. And the dependent reality is the cricket game that is being played in the screen. Is the cricket game possible without the screen? The digital cricket game, that is? Yes. No, it's not because then um, you need a screen to display the YouTube video, no, but, right? But it's still happening. The screen just displays it. Yeah, I'm talking about the, just the digital version, the pixelated and the audio version. Okay, let's say no, although technically it's still being processed exactly as it would be. It's just not being, it's like closing your eyes in a way. Okay, let me give you another example. Uh, Microsoft Document. Okay. So there's the the screen mm-hmm. and then there's the Microsoft Document. Is the Microsoft Document possible without the screen? Yes. No, it's not because you need the screen to be able to view the Microsoft document. You, yeah, you need the screen to view the document, but the document is still possible without the screen. I think we're viewing think, it in I a think, different yeah, way. I think, I'm, 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 yeah, I get you. I think I think I'm, I got you technical, but let's say, yeah, let, let's go with what you're saying. Yes, so there's the Microsoft document, which is dependent upon the screen. Right. The screen can exist without the document, but the document cannot exist without the screen. Mm-hmm. So by going with this understanding, we as um, we as human beings, are we dependent upon something else? And this is where we can go in a whole little rabbit hole where nowadays people are saying that consciousness is that screen, where consciousness is something that is beyond just the mind and the body. But that's something that requires a whole bunch of discussion. I don't know if we could just fit it in in these two hours. But have you ever thought about that? Uh, do you ever get curious about consciousness? I have wondered what creates it and how it works. But I have never thought of the world that way in the sense that we have a dependent and an independent reality. My only, The only thought that comes to me again is the induction principle, wherein let's say that we are dependent on another world but is that other world also dependent upon another world and is that one also dependent upon another world and you might find yourself getting into the same conclusions where it's an infinite loop if we are asking these questions let's say that we think that we are independent reality why does the reality that's one level higher than us not think the same way i mean for them and- too there can be one more space time or like you know one extra dimension like if you take matrices the math works for as many dimensions as you want so when you keep going back and back and back you're stating yourself that there's a potential for an infinite loop correct yes i'm saying that it it might become an unending cycle in the sense that it's it's infinity, right? One mm-hmm. after the another, after the another, after the another. So this doesn't disprove that God exists, but it doesn't prove it either. So we're, we're, it's it's a non-conclusion in in a sense. And I think one of the things that bugs the mind sometimes is when we picture the uh, word God immediately for tons of people, we superimpose what it means to be a human onto God. 
as though like you know this god looks like another human it has a beard it has a hands and everything while other people say what this infinite thing that you keep mentioning where when you try to get back to the root cause of it all and you're trying to use logic you keep hitting more and more infinite some people describe that concept in itself as you could call it infinite you could call it source you could call it god at this point we're just playing around with words but that's what we're trying to say where when you keep getting closer to the source is something that is beyond just space just time just causation and this is where i uh, just take it even a little further i think at times words in itself can create certain lapses in thinking where at this point the different people who are listening to this have a different perception when they think of god right mm-hmm. especially if you're from the west or if you're from the east and that's why this is a fun discussion to have and at this point i'm also getting a headache what about you <laughs> i I'll, i'll tell you my final thoughts on god and humans okay and mm-hmm. throughout from my understanding throughout say the old and ancient times people have attributed things they don't understand to god for example every culture has a god of rain and every culture has a thunder god a god of the ocean and these things are vast and humans don't comprehend them at least back then but now that we have a good understanding of the environment and how the cycle of rain works water evaporates creates clouds and rains uh the argument for a rain god goes down significantly because we can now predict rainfall right we can know when it's going to rain and when it's not going to rain when it's going to rain heavy mm-hmm. and when it's going to rain light so we don't really need a concept of a god because we understand this really well like we know we if we can predict something accurately then there's no point claiming a god is doing it because if god was doing it how is it predictable so we tend to attribute things we do not understand to god or to you know either a god or a realm of god so currently what we what is it that we don't understand we understand how fire works so f- fire gods are like less relevant to today's age because we understand how fire works it's a plasma but we don't understand how the universe works how is it infinite why is it expanding and that is what we are attributing god to nowadays like it's it's an infinite universe so this is this must be god are you getting me like, so there is a boundary to human knowledge mm-hmm. and what is completely beyond the boundary what things we can't even begin to understand is what we attribute to god because even at the time of big bang the universe mm-hmm. still existed which is empty except this one small thing which exploded so that universe must be god right so what as we understand more things the realm of god keeps going down so god is more like the mystery of the world you could say it that way so dark matter stuff we don't we don't understand is god if you take an uneducated person who has like no knowledge that we have about how the world works he is likely to attribute a lot of things to god which are which we are going to say is nonsense so he might attribute a radio to god this must be god's voice but it's not we know how radio works what what it's doing so 
I think there's one aspect of how God works. And with humans ourselves, we tend to describe humans or our own selves with the things we, with the elements and the technology we have. So earlier humans, people would say that humans are made out of clay or the five elements that is wind, fire, earth. I forgot the other two. <laughs> so these space, elements. Water. Hmm. Yeah, water, space, yes. So these are the elements that humans are made out of and that's what they used to think back then. And say in the industrial age, we would say, say the humans are machines, right? We have skeletal systems, nervous systems and things of those mm-hmm. lines. And now we have AI computers and now we're talking about humans as computers. Like we have a brain as CPU and we're learning with a neural network in our head. So mm-hmm. whatever we understand about the world, we attribute it to ourselves. Like we are made of these things and that's what we control. And what we don't understand is what we attribute to God, the universe, the rain or whatever else. Right. No, I 100% get your perspective where you're coming from. Um, I did want to just give you two examples where, you know, this is a fun discussion we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, two examples, Harsh, where I love to call it the source because whenever I call it God, I believe sometimes it's taking different people out of it who could yeah. participate in the discussion. Have preconceived and, notions, yes. Yeah, they'll be like, well, my God is, does this while your God does this. So I like <laughs> to say source. <laughs> and I'll give you two examples. So a while back, Harsh, I was working in this aerospace company where I was helping create this tool that pilots can use in order to get data from their surroundings. And so they could see if there's a lot of wind pressure, if it's about to rain, if it's about to storm, etc. And this project that we were creating, let's call it Oasis, was something that multiple people were creating. And it was unique to see this creation uh, taking place. And there's a different uh, perspective when someone sees the final product of a creation versus the actual process of creating it. And as we were creating it, we're seeing all these different moving variables that had to come together in order for there to be this final product. And there were two, even though there was a lot of moving variables, there were just two final things that I saw, the creator and the created. Now, fast forward a couple of years later, I'm creating Armani Talks. And at this point, I have tweets, I have blogs, I have podcasts, emails, interviews with yourself, etc. Once again, it seems like a whole bunch of different movement. But once again, from my perspective, it's creator and created. So behind all this diversity, I often see two. So there's this thing that a lot of physicists are now calling process fractals, where you could apply certain processes into different parts of life to reach meaningful knowledge. And just to think, when I'm introspecting at least, I'm using my engineering background of creator versus created. I'm doing the same thing with creating Armani Talks with the creator created. That's why just a part of me, you know, starts to think, huh, Am I the created to a creator as well? How far can this process keep on going? And this is something, honestly, Harsh, where it's a thought experiment at this point. I'm not talking about it in a 
super religious or spiritual context. It's something that I believe lifelong learners should entertain, so they can keep on creating. And asking these big questions are what personally helps me be curious.、Hmm. I remember coming across a perspective from a biologist who studies cells and you know how cells function.、Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that the person said something along the lines of, "When you start studying biologist, you reject God because now you think you understand the things and how they're working." And when you end the, your studies, when when you become an expert, you find God again waiting for you. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing that you just mentioned because I heard physicists saying the same thing, where they're like, "Well, when, initially when you're studying, you're like this hard-nosed scientist, but the more that you keep knowing the field, the more you're thinking, 'Huh, is there something deeper?' And just to give you an example, Harsh." When you、um, are first entering a certain field, there's a lot of clean concepts. We are like, if you do this, this will happen, and if you do this, this will happen. Everything's black and white.、Mm-hmm. But the more that you understand a field, I've noticed that subject matter experts often say it depends a lot when people are giving or asking for advice. That's when their perspective goes from Newtonian to quantum, and I've seen different people say that. Harsh. The example you just gave with the biologist, where the deeper that you know a field, I believe the more you're just thinking, "Huh, is there something deeper?" Well, you arrive at the axioms, and the axioms are not something you can prove. It's just something you are given. So, if you take the axiom of gravity, like you cannot. So, if you take the fundamental principles that we have, like magnetism, electromagnetism, gravity, and things of this sort, mass, you can't. We don't know why they're working. We're just supposed to take it for granted, because there's no way. At least, as far as I know, we do not know why gravity exists. We know it exists, and that's it. Like we just know it exists. There are the mass is pulling other mass towards it, but why is it doing it? We don't know. No one knows. So we're still trying to figure these things out. But as of now, these are just axioms. Like we are supposed to take it as a given. So、mm-hmm. that's what I think experts have. Well, if you, someone who's an expert in biology, he has to take life as an axiom. What is the difference between a dead cell and a living cell if they're structurally the same? Right. What is the difference between a dead body and a living body? Let Let's say one millisecond after you are dead, and one、mm-hmm. millisecond before. What has changed? And why can't you be revived by just fixing it? Like why Why can't you bring someone back from the dead? And I think that given enough time and research. We will learn more, and maybe we will be able to bring people back from the dead. In fact, we have done it to cold-blooded animals, where we have. So we've taken frogs, and we've frozen、mm-hmm. them to death in the sense that they have died, and then we have defrosted them, and they have come back to life. So we have managed to do that to cold-blooded animals, and I hope that in the future we manage to figure out how we can do that to. 
warm blooded animals as well right you think that's possible down the line there's nothing that's impossible given enough will and demand for something mm-hmm. it might take a long while to do though i don't i don't see why it's impossible like so when someone says something is impossible i would i i typically want like some kind of evidence like can can someone prove that it's, it's impossible and unless something is proven impossible then it's possible or <laughs> at least there right. might be a way we don't know for sure like it could also be impossible but until we have a proof of impossibility we will never know because if you think about it say before say the year 1800 would anyone think that going to the moon is possible no it's too far away that's impossible but then we did it didn't we right even this conversation right now where we're thousands of miles away from each other or hundreds of miles and we're able to speak with one another and once we're done speaking this conversation is up forever if you're saying this i would say 150 years ago uh, people are going to put their uh, palm on your forehead and be like yo are you sick or something what's wrong with you man but here we are doing it yep so i have faith in human progress we will figure it out Hopefully well that's a fascinating Well that's a fascinating thing about technology isn't it because when the human mind thinks technology i believe immediately a lot of people are thinking oh well it, that's machines and just electricity but technology in itself means applied science and science means knowledge so when i think of technology i think of structured knowledge and i'm thinking how far can we see technology going where i was reading this one interview of i forgot who it was he was a pretty big inventor back in the days and this was over 150 to 200 years ago where the guy was quoted saying i believe we're almost edging to the final progression of technology and after that i don't see much innovation happening this guy is saying this 150 to 200 years ago and look at us now man a lot of the stuff that we have nowadays will be considered magic to this guy absolutely man like i think people tend to you know i've noticed that people tend to take all the technology that they were born into as granted like this is normal up until the age of 25 20 25 people learn new technologies very fast and they accept them but after mm-hmm. 25 30 people start rejecting technology and they tend to think that this is going to be bad for the world so older people when the internet was coming out thought the internet would be bad when mobile phones and smartphones came out there were people who said this is going to end the human race when vr is coming out older people are now saying the same thing they're saying that people are going to sit and look at their vr and end the human race bitcoin mm-hmm. is coming out and people are saying the same thing so it seems that after a certain age people reject more innovation and they want to stick to what they have seen before yeah the back in my days mentality 
not exactly i think that people just stop wanting to learn and you know learning new things takes effort like saying up to date with technology it takes effort and mm-hmm. when you're young in the sense when you're like 19 years old all of that is very cool to you you want to keep learning more about how technology works but when you're 30 you just want to live your life you don't want to experiment too much and i'll give you a personal example with this so when i was say 2014 so that's about 6 7 years so when i was like maybe 16 years old i was experimenting with different linux distributions i was putting up say ubuntu i was using uh, linux mint i was using arch linux and i was very well i thought i was really cool because i was using this complex linux distribution and i had set it up myself and i had learned how to do that although that thing kept breaking and i have to keep fixing the software but now today as a 25 year old businessman i use ubuntu and that's because it doesn't require me to customize anything it just works out of the box and i don't want to learn any more linux i just want to do my business i think mm-hmm. that's what happens to people they don't want to learn more technology they just want to live their lives so after a particular age that desire to learn about more upcoming tech it just becomes a hassle instead of uh, something that interests you right have you ever heard of this entrepreneur named ted turner i have not so ted turner in the 70s 80s was becoming one of the most well-known entrepreneurs in the us and he made his riches through media where he was revolutionizing the industry he was responsible for creating cnn cartoon network tnt tbs along with a lot of different media empires oh but around this guy yes yeah right around late 90s to early 2000s at this point the internet was becoming bigger and bigger and a lot of the people that he worked with was saying that the media that he was a part of was called old media and he needed to learn more about new media which is any internet based media empires so here is this hungry entrepreneur who spent most of his life hustling grinding innovating but when he found out that he had to learn about this entire new beast called the internet and he was i would say in his mid 50s early 60s around that time he just lost that drive where he's like you know i don't want it that bad nowadays and it's not as though he completely lost his drive he just shifted his focus to working on climate change but it just showed me that when you're introduced with this brand new beast that you need to learn either you're going to learn it otherwise you're not going to survive where eventually ted turner ended up getting merged with AOL and i believe he lost a lot of privileges for his own company it's because he lost that drive so you always got to be learning otherwise especially in the new economy you're going to be edged out real quick hmm i agree completely with you and for all the readers out there i would say this is a time to learn about cryptocurrencies because this is like the this is the same level of change the internet bought in the 90s and the early 2000s that it about to see in the next 10 years learn about crypto and decentralized finance and i'm going to plug in my 
completely free course here go to teachyourselfcrypto.com it's completely free and do the entire course you will learn everything you need to know and i'm going to put the link for the course in the description box as well and what inspired you to create this course harsh well the concept was that i wanted to learn more about crypto and i thought okay i'm going to read all these books and learn about crypto and watch all the videos why don't i also make a course for with it why don't i also teach other people so i curated the best content i could find on crypto put them in a logical order so the main issue right now with learning crypto especially the earlier ones like bitcoin is not that the information is not out there it's that the information is scattered everywhere like you will pick up some piece from some youtube video then some piece from some other youtube video i made a repository that is essentially like a college curriculum like you have the prerequisites then chapter 1 chapter 2 chapter 3 and all the later chapters build upon the content you learned in the previous chapter so my course on teachyourselfcrypto.com teachyourselfcrypto.com mm-hmm. it's completely self sufficient and structured so you don't have to look everywhere to f- learn anything like you have the index and the resources that you need to do and you can move through serially which makes the whole process so much easier and faster beautiful yeah i'm going to put the link in the description box right on below and i'm glad that you created a resource like this because with cryptocurrency different people want to learn but there's two problems one you just mentioned where everything is scattered so people have to keep on hunting down knowledge and the other problem is that people who are explaining it are explaining it in such a complex way where it leaves you with even more questions and since following your content i notice that you're capable of turning extremely complex concepts into simplification hmm yeah that's definitely the case where if you go on the internet you will find two types of resources one the first type would be it would be so oversimplified that you will not really learn anything and mm-hmm. the other type would be content that is meant for developers so it would be so overly complicated that you are going to feel that you're not capable of learning this in the first place <laughs> so it's going to scare What you this? intimidate you so i when i found like very ridiculously complex or ridiculously simple resources we created our own so i had help here we had sergio from your coding teacher uh, i think his website is yourdevops.com let me check your yeah yourdevopsguy.com so i had sergio from there and we built the course together Nice man. Have you heard of this thing called the digital divide? I have not. Although I might so have it, if you like if you tell me the concept I'll tell you that if I've come across this or not. Yeah, once I start telling you the story, I'm pretty sure you're going to understand what I mean. So, a couple of months back, I was working with this one guy who wanted to work on his speaking skills, and I suggested that he start a podcast. And I'm getting extremely enthusiastic about this. where i could tell a podcast is going to be perfect for him it doesn't need to be public yet it could be private and i'm sharing this in such an enthusiastic way but this guy he's not picking up the same enthusiasm and i'm thinking 
Man, what's the problem? This is perfect for him. And as we're talking more, he eventually looks a little embarrassed and he's like, hey, Armand, I have a question. I was like, what's up? He's like, what's a podcast? Even I didn't know what a podcast was until recently. Okay, but we're 35 minutes in the conversation and I thought this was just common knowledge for him, but it wasn't. He was in his mid-50s and when I told him that it was like a radio but hosted on the internet, he's like, oh, wow, this idea is brilliant. And that's when he started to pick up the same enthusiasm that I had. So eventually, I started to notice that there was a thing called the digital divide. I don't know if it's a formal phrase yet, but this basically means that nowadays, as technology is becoming richer, the language that the young and the, I want to say old, but the elderly use are vastly different. So I believe with your cryptocurrency course, just the way that you have of explaining things you're going to find that middle ground where you're not hopefully crossing the digital divide too much. Oh yeah, so our course teaches everything from zero in the sense that you don't have to have any background knowledge. We teach you everything you need to know from the beginning. So even if you know nothing about money, our first resource is what is money and how does it work? And what is the history of money? So we, we teach you everything from scratch and we don't make assumptions. And our course is meant for people who are not developers, like guys like you and me. So it's made for the general populace. Man, you got me wanting to go through the course right now too. <laughs> I would love to see you go through the course. I would really love to see you do that. Yeah, I'll go through it, man. Um, I've already went through your first and second book, and I enjoyed it. So I'm sure the course is not going to be any different. Awesome. All right, Harsh, I got another question. Go ahead, go ahead. About the digital divide, I think the lockdown has helped bridge that to a significant extent. So before the lockdown, old people would essentially not use the internet to spend money. They would never order from Amazon and they would just go to the grocery store. But with the lockdown, they were forced to learn technology. They were forced to learn how to make an order online. They were forced to learn how to use applications like PTM, PayPal to make payments. So I think that the lockdown has helped bridge this gap of knowledge somewhat. It's also helped open up a lot of marketing opportunities because you have an entirely new demographic and this demographic has a ton of money and they're spending money on the internet for the first time. So take from that what you will. Yeah, and nowadays, I mean, there's no option in the matter. You have to understand some technology if you want to set up a business. And when you're trying to be one of those people that's like, well, the technology is for the young, it's not for me, then you're missing out on tons of different opportunities. Where, just to give you an example, I was a part of this business organization, I would say a year ago, and one of the members bought his daughter, and I believe I shared this story, where his daughter was selling Girl Scout cookies, and she was either accepting cash or Venmo. 
And there was this one elderly lady who's like, what is Venmo? I've never heard of this before. And I was going to be paying in Venmo. So I showed her exactly how it worked. And she's like, wow, so you could digitally send money just like that? I was like, yeah, you could send it just like that. And that's when she was starting to think, yo, this would have helped me and my business so much. Instead of sending checks or just cash, imagine her practice. I believe she was a lawyer or she gave legal advice. How much her practice could have grown if she incorporated Venmo, Stripe, PayPal, something like that. Now she's opening up her business for global rather than just local. Nice. Now with Good lo- for her. Well, I'm, imagine if she did this a while back. I don't necessarily know if she could do that for her industry because I know with legal advice, it's highly dependent on local rules. But this is just an example of how different businesses can incorporate technology, but you can't incorporate something that you do not remotely understand. So being able to communicate the concepts of technology to the older population nowadays is a skill. And I'm glad that you made this course. I'm definitely going to go through it. Awesome. Yeah, Harsh. So I told you that th- th- there was a few questions I had uh, a reader ask. So the second question, Harsh, was what patterns have you noticed in yourself as you have grown more mature? I find myself being more empathetic in the sense that I understand people and their situations more. For example, when I was, say, 16, 17, or even 18, 19, I used to view the world in a very binary way, in the sense that either something is stupid or it's not. And I lacked empathy for the human situation, in the sense that, let's take someone who was born with some disability. And as someone who was into self-improvement, I would view that disability as just an obstacle in the sense that I would just, if I, I would think that if I was disabled, I would just find a way to work around it. And I would expect other people to do the same thing. So I never understood why they did not work around it and why they were just wallowing in their misery back then. And I would just think they're just morons and lazy and weak. But as I have grown older and experienced more things, I have become more understanding of the human situation. So I think it has something to do with, say, uh, ignorance and the fact that to, well, most people do not have the mindset of self-improvement and they, they view something like a disability as a life ender and they don't, they don't try to get over it. Some, some, of, some people just don't try to get over it and there's nothing you can do to change that. So I've just become more understanding of how humans work. I've also learned more about why the world is how it is and why people act how they do. So I've essentially I've learned more about human nature, the human situation, about 
the systems we are living in. I've learned more about my own self, my emotions, my strengths and weaknesses. And yeah, I think I've learned quite a bit and the biggest maturity points have just been a better understanding of people because learning technical skills is, it just, you know, you learned a skill, but I think maturity comes from learning about humans and their situations. And that's a great response because when we're thinking about empathy, this isn't something that you can necessarily just teach in school. It's something that you have to be able to experience for yourself. It's something that you go through certain experiences. And was there a certain sparking point when that happened to you, Harsh? Or you just noticed it gradually happening where you started to gradually become more empathetic? Where for me personally, Mm -hmm. before you answer, for me, I would say there were just certain moments where I started to become more empathetic. And normally this happened when I was going through a tough time myself. And when I was going through an extremely tough time, I was feeling a lot of heat in my body. I was sometimes finding it difficult to sleep and I would lose my appetite. And when something like that would happen, that would make me more considerate about other people, which is something that seems counterintuitive, Harsh, because when you're going through a tough time, it's easy for you to logically say, well, you should be feeling more bitter towards the world. But for me, it was the opposite, where I felt more open and empathetic towards the world when I was going through the dark times. Was that something similar for you, or did you just gradually grow into being, becoming more empathetic? I have to ask you first, before, what do you mean by uh, when you say you went through dark times and you were feeling more empathy? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so there's phrases called the rock bottom moment, your dark moment, or the only place to go from bottom is up. And these are just a different moments, Harsh. I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember I got in this car accident, which I wasn't expecting. And during the accident, it just was something that came out of nowhere. And the guy, I believe, was suing me and my family. And to take it even a level further, I was struggling at work at the time. And it was just one loss after another, just stacking up after stacking up. And it was a tough time for me. This was a couple of years back. And during that moment, I started to be more open uh, towards others. I started to understand other people's pain as well because I was experiencing pain firsthand. So that's what I mean by the dark moments. Hmm. So personally, I have never had a rock bottom situation. Or maybe I just don't think of my life in those terms. Maybe it could be that. I'll give you an example of what I mean by getting more empathy and learning about the human situation. So recently I was watching this video about this guy who had committed suicide. And he killed himself because I think his wife divorced him. And then she filed these fake cases on him in the sense that she basically fucked him over. And Mm. my natural response to that was, why did you kill yourself? You should have killed her. And 
at 16, like if I was at 16, 17, I would say this guy is a complete idiot. And now I have the same opinion. Like he should not have killed himself. He should have killed her. But I understand why he killed himself. Like I understand that he felt complete despair. He lacked the character and strength to do anything else. So he just committed suicide. So I get it. Like I understand where he came from. I do not agree with it, but I understand it. So I have more empathy towards him. I understand the situation better. So mm-hmm. back when I was younger, I just did not comprehend it. Like right. I would say that if someone is fucked you over, taking your children away from you and is essentially driving you insane to the point that you want to kill yourself. That's a, that's a situation where I would be willing to go to jail for like that. That would not be something I, I, I would accept jail for that. Like, okay, fine. Like what is the penalty? Like, what is worse than dying? Nothing. So like, there are some things worse than dying, but for the sake of this conversation, so I, I, I understand where this guy is coming from now. I understand why he killed himself. Despite me not agreeing with his choices, I know what went through his head. Right. And what you're describing is empathy rather than sympathy, where empathy is when you're trying to view it from their mind and their experiences, where sympathy is when you're approaching that person's situation from your mind and your experiences. So you're actually empathizing because what you're saying is that you don't necessarily agree, but you understand where he is coming from. And man, that's actually a dark story, dude. It's unfortunate because I see so many different stories like that where the guy ends up getting divorced and he loses his money, kids. I wonder, do you know where this was from? Was it in the US or which country? This was country? in India. I read it on this website called mensdayout.com. Mensdayout.com. And mm-hmm. it's actually because the laws we have regarding family laws, that is divorce, were essentially, are essentially extremely anti-men in the sense that if a woman makes any acquisition, then it's just believed to be true on face value and the guy has to prove that it's false and he's arrested immediately and the police start harassing his family. So it's, it's essentially completely unfair. And even if you can prove that these allegations are false, there's nothing like there's no punishment for making these false allegations. So you end up getting fucked and the laws are completely biased in the favor of women and are completely anti-men. And the courts have even said things like that. Like the courts have openly said, like we're, we're for the convenience of women and not for the convenience of men. So the reason this is happening is because there have been very high profile cases of things like rape and in a knee jerk reactions, the government has completely altered the law to the point that it has become ridiculous in the general case. So it works in the extreme case where some extreme assaults have taken place, but the average case is false. And I believe the official statistic is that close to 95 or more percent of these cases are false. And only a small percentage of them are true. 
but how the culture right now is that people tend to view women as victims for everything and men as criminals so if you take let's say a woman makes a claim for domestic violence like the man is even though there is no evidence it it ever happened she said it because she was drunk or whatever it is assumed that the man was guilty but if a man ever makes an accusation then it's assumed that he's lying or you know he must be exaggerating or whatever so we have a cultural presumption of innocence for women and a cultural presumption of guilt for men and we have extremely biased laws like that where if someone gets divorced then essentially the law is designed to try to fuck the man over completely like try to get as many resources money and everything from him as possible and give it to the woman for no good reason whatsoever like even though the woman is completely free she was never oppressed in her life she was just she was educated as well but now still this guy has to pay her so it is like it is completely wrong in my opinion but it is how it is and it's it's very unfair because at one end you have these people who say that women are equal to men but also when it comes to things in the law they they act like women are complete victims and men are evil and like how, how if someone is a victim then how can they be equal and is this man i heard about this in the us i didn't know india had similar laws like that indian laws are worse than american laws really at least in the us they don't consider legally women to be incapable but in under indian law women are like basically considered to be incapable so if if a woman makes an accusation it's bound to be true and you're supposed to pay her because then she can't feed herself which is completely ridiculous but it is basically bad law making and it's fucking over people for no good reason do you know about any movements that are trying to reverse these laws or modify it oh yes i do know that so this men's day out organization is trying to create more awareness there are also some journalists that i have interacted with that are trying to create awareness and try to fix these issues like there's a girl called dipika narayan bhardwaj and bharka trihan i think there's a guy called kd jha and a couple of other people and they're trying to essentially bring out men's issues like the law is essentially screwing men over right like you're treating men like second class citizens and in this case you're treating them like slaves damn that's intense yeah man i mean i've heard about a lot of these stories in the us where there's guys that lose a lot of their money and their resources after they're the ones who got divorced and i don't know about the entire stories but i see a lot of these headlines and i'm thinking huh who is making these rules and what gives the rules are made by very feminists and soybeer politicians like they just want to appease women because women tend to vote out of appeasement do you see anything changing within the next couple of years or do you just think this is the general trend it's going towards i'm going to say something extremely controversial right now do you 
want me to make your channel a little bit more political sure man i mean i consider these episodes to be a thing of its own so do what you got to do i think that in the future and i don't mean the near future like a couple of years i mean in due course of time a lot of these fucked up countries with fucked up laws are going to fail and that's because what's going to happen is that we're going to see one work from home and crypto so people will have the option to move wherever they want in the world so let's say that you are someone who's a very productive citizen you're the top 1% like top 0.1% in terms of talent entrepreneurial skill what would you do would you live in a country with laws that essentially can fuck you over whenever someone else wants or would you move to a country with better laws you would prefer to move better laws yeah yeah you would prefer to move to a country with better laws more freedom and lower taxes it is just how things are so in the future we will see that we will see a massive brain drain like basically you know the brain drain that happens right now where intelligent people from third world countries move to first world countries like the US we mm-hmm. will see brain drain from across all of these countries to countries with better laws more freedom and the controversial part is that i think that a lot of this brain drain will happen in favor of islamic countries like the united arab emirates because islamic countries like people can hate muslims as much as they want muslims have better family law and they have lower taxes right have you ever been to dubai or abu dhabi i am planning to go there soon so for a while one of my cousins lived there and i recall a lot of them wouldn't even lock their doors i'm thinking man you don't lock your doors so something dangerous could happen and that country was so peaceful like the place that he lived where he couldn't even fathom why i was so paranoid but in the us you leaving your doors unlocked is something you don't do now just to carry off of that idea that you are saying about the brain drain there are so many people now that are moving to florida from california and from new york because specifically entrepreneurs because they're being disrespected in california and new york uh, people are walking in all over them and so many people are coming to florida nowadays or texas and i wonder if this is going to be something that's happening more in the near future uh, one of my barbers from a while back is like man where are all y'all dudes coming from enough florida already has enough people uh, he's an up and coming comedian so he's making a joke out of this but i did start to notice that plenty of smart bright talented people are now moving to florida and i wonder if harsh is going to be next <laughs> <laughs> see i don't see myself moving to the us because it has such a high tax rate and florida has no state taxes man how much do you pay in taxes like what percentage tax do you end up paying federally and at the state level combined man i got to i, I got to look more in detail so what is, what is uh, the highest rate Ah uh, man I, I I don't know the exact number dude I got I got to get back to you on that 
I think my friend or my business partners from the US have told me they pay like 40% plus um, the the VAT, GST, whatever. Mm-hmm. Which is too high. 40% taxes are too high. When you compare that to Dubai, which is 0%. Right. Now, so now it's harsh thinking this, about moving. Now imagine this, Arman. Let's say that you're starting a company, okay? You start a company mm-hmm. in the US and I, or let's say your competitor starts their company in Dubai and you're stuck paying 40% in taxes and they have to pay no taxes so they can use the money they save in their business. They're going to screw you guys over because they just have significantly lower costs. They have like extremely low costs and this is actually happening right now. People who have started their startups and have the company based in Ireland and you have a startup based in the US, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to compete with them. And that's something I learned from this video by Sam Altman. He has this course on how to start a startup and he really says that, and he didn't directly say that you should start a startup outside and, you know, set up your company in a tax haven. But indirectly, he implied the same thing. He said that there are ways about how you can go about setting a company in Ireland. And we have found that if you have a competitor that's based in these tax haven companies, it's going to become very difficult for you to compete with them. And it's just how it is. Like Imagine taking all the money you pay in taxes and spending it on Facebook ads. How many more customers would you have? Think about that for a minute. So if you ask me, all entrepreneurs, like all rational entrepreneurs at least, will leave all these countries with ridiculous taxes and shitty family law because that's directly affecting you. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your risk and it's Mm -hmm. costing you more money. So you would want to leave. And there are countries you can go to. So you likely would. And I do know many businessmen who have done that in the past two, three years. I know like at least seven or eight businessmen who are making a lot of money who just moved to Dubai. And Dubai has a 53% population of Indians. So Dubai, even there there are other places like this as well. I think Estonia or something is a place in the European Union. I'm not I'm not sure about Europe. Then there's a place called Puerto Rico. I'm not sure about that either. I know Dubai is a good place to be for this. Well I remember in 2018 when I was first joining Twitter, I noticed a lot of the entrepreneurs on Twitter either moved to a Spanish country overseas or Europe and they were talking about how much money they're saving. Here's my thing harsh. I see pockets of people doing that, but I don't see too many people just leaving the U.S. predominantly for business reasons. I believe there's other decisions that are going to be be coming in, like a lot of their family probably lives in the U.S. or wherever they're currently living. I don't think that the business in itself is going to be the main part of them moving, unless I could be wrong, but that's my personal opinion. Definitely many considerations to make here. I would say that in the future, assuming that the friction between traveling different countries 
is lower in the sense that you could set up a company in Dubai, live there for half the year and travel back and forth without a lot of hassle. And the currency that we're all using is pretty much the same. That is Bitcoin, Monero or whatever, some kind of crypto. It would not become that difficult. It would be like living in a different city in the same country right now. So you could have your family living in California and you live in New York. People do that now as well, right? For better jobs. Right. But can you say that one more time? People do that now as well, right? If, let's say they have family in California, the East West Coast, and they move to the East Coast for a better paying job. Yeah, yeah, they do that. It would become very similar like that when it comes to moving countries because travel is going to get cheaper as it always has. And the currencies that we're using are going to become standardized to crypto. Like we will all use Bitcoin, Monero, Ether instead of using different countries and different currencies like the Indian rupee, ruble, yuan, whatever. Like we will use crypto. Mm-hmm. So that would take away the friction of different countries. It would essentially be like different cities in the same country in the future. Like it, would, it would behave the same way. I do agree with you where not everyone is going to leave. All I'm saying is that not, your, every big country in the world depends on the revenue and taxes that are bought by the top 1%. I would say the top one or the top few percentage people are contributing over 80% of taxes, the billionaires, the, the extremely rich companies are contributing essentially almost all the funding that the government needs. And if half of them leave, the government can't fund itself. It just can't. And it can't inflate money because then people are using crypto and it does not have control over that. So I think that over the long run, and I don't mean that over the next five years, I mean, over the long run, a lot of these countries will fail if this continue to treat people the way they are treating, especially continue to treat men the way they are treating, because the fact of the matter is that men are more entrepreneurial. Like almost all businesses that are very large are started by men because men have a much higher tendency to want to take risks. So by screwing over men, they are incentivizing their best people to just get out of there. And I know that for a fact, because even I've thought about it long and hard to leave the country. I love India too much. And so I decided against it for now, but the incentives, they will eventually win. Do you see yourself moving? Maybe it is not off the table. Gotcha. A lot of interesting points you're bringing up, Harsh, because I've thought about that before, where 2018, when I saw so many of these entrepreneurs going overseas and they were showing their apartments, which were huge. One guy was in Brazil, the other guy was in Europe, and he would say that I'm only spending this much money. A part of me started to think, yo, 
is this going to be something that happens in the future? And then at that time, I believe the phrase was called digital nomad, where they had an online business. So it didn't matter where they lived. All they needed was an internet connection. I did notice that a lot of these people that were doing that were single, so they didn't have a family. So at that time, I just thought, yeah, maybe this is something people will do when they're single, when they're trying to figure out who they are, they're exploring, traveling. But I never saw it as something that a lot of people are going to do in the near future, like an exodus. But nowadays, you know, as you're bringing up these points about the political issues and the other moving parts behind the business, I could see a better case for it now than I did in 2018. Hmm. I will say that most businesses and especially most startups are started by single people without families. They started by people who are very young. People who have families typically don't take such big risks. Right. And I believe this ties in beautifully with another question. You know, just where, to, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to finish my thought here. I mm-hmm. think that there is a network effect here where if enough people move to a particular country that has better laws, lower taxes, it will encourage even more people to do so. Let's say that you want to move to a country where no one speaks your language, then it's hard to move there. But if enough of your countrymen have moved there, then you moving there becomes easier for you. So there is a compound interest thing going on here. So if you take Dubai, it's very easy for an Indian person to go to Dubai because more than half the residents of Dubai are Indians. So people speak our language, our food is available there, and our culture is present there. Mm -hmm. But I would not want to move to, say... China, where I don't speak Chinese and the people there, I presume don't speak English. So So you're basically saying, go ahead. So you're basically saying once a foundation is laid up, then more people are going to be moving in herds. Yes. So it reduces friction. So think about it like this. Okay. Moving to a different country has a lot of friction there. I'll tell you what frictions you have first. There's a large cost of selling your assets in your home country and buying new assets in your new country, getting visa permits, residency, citizenship, whatever, that's a friction. Your family living in one country and you living in another country, that's a friction. Mm-hmm. Then you not knowing anybody there and you know you being in a completely new place, that's a friction. The language barrier is a big friction. The food barrier is a big friction because, you know, if, if you're used to eating a particular type of food, you're, you may or may not like the food the other person is eating. For example, I'm vegetarian, so I would not want to move to a country where they primarily eat seafood. So the food barrier is a friction. So you have all these frictions, uh, even different currencies is a friction. But as time is moving, all these frictions are going down to zero. So it's becoming very, very easy to get a visa to these countries because they want you to come. They want all these top 1% to come. They are smart. They want to brain drain all the other countries and they want all the smart people to move there. Like you can literally buy a, a residency to Dubai. I think it costs like 10,000 dirhams or something. It's not, not expensive at all. So you can literally buy it. If you take 
currency crypto is handling that already flights are becoming cheaper you could fly back and see your family from time to time so all of those things are happening so the frictions of these things are reducing eventually enough english speaking people will move to these countries mm-hmm. so that more english people english speaking people can move there because now they have like community there so it's easier to just go to a community than to start a community bro let me give you an example on a much smaller scale that ties into exactly what you're saying so in florida harsh there are a bunch of different universities but the two that i'm going to mention are university of florida and university of south florida okay so uf university of florida is in gainesville mm-hmm. usf is in tampa dude when i was in high school in west palm beach most of the bengalis from my region were all going to uf that was seen as the gold standard if you don't go to uf then you're messing up but my brother was one of the first bengalis from our region that ended up going to usf and he was pretty much the pioneer for going to usf and as more time started to go on by when people were thinking about where they should send their kids off to college at this point someone would say hey that one kid goes to usf how does he like it so they would start asking him mm. and he would start basically being this recruitment chair he's like yeah yeah there's a lot of bengali food places around here yeah there's a few other bengalis from other parts of the world that attend here and slowly more people started to go to usf now there's been at least 10 years that's passed since that moment nowadays there are herds of kids from west palm beach bengalis that go to usf and it's not something that's like oh, you didn't go to uf you went to tampa instead instead it's normal so when you were explaining your entire situation your prediction for the future i was just thinking of that memory from high school of being cross applied into what you're saying hmm that's that's very interesting you know i think women's education has also gone the same route where you know earlier people would say why educate women no one does it but then some women were educated and then people were like why aren't you educating your daughter i think i think what what you're saying completely corroborates what i said it's it's essentially a network effect if more people are doing something then it becomes easier for you to take that decision mhm and what you were also talking about the fundamentals where people will ask questions like this hey are there other bengalis that are there how are the food places is there a community they'll ask these questions along with the money as well and if those questions are not properly being satisfied then the chances of of moving happening drastically reduces but if the fundamentals are being set up and now those questions are being answered properly now the chance of moving increases so harsh isn't it cool how we're recording these episodes maybe 10 years from the line we're like episode 7 we predicted this <laughs> it's going to happen arman it's just a matter of time what you're bringing up harsh is unique i wouldn't say i'm necessarily exactly where you are at so if your prediction is true this is something that you deserve all the credit for because personally i'm more skeptical i think people are going to be moving but i don't think they're going to be moving in droves or you're thinking 
if the fundamental is laid out, then moving in droves is inevitable, correct? I don't think people will move in droves. I think the most talented people who bring in all the revenue to the government, the, basically the best minds will move out. So 99% of people will not move out, but the smartest people will. Gotcha. Interesting prediction. And basically what I was saying, Harsh, I'm glad that we're recording these episodes because you know how at times memory can be jaded where hindsight bias, it's always 2020 where people are like, yes, I remember saying that one time. I said crypto was going to be the next big thing. But let's say this particular person was saying that crypto was not going to be the biggest thing. Their memory is jaded. So for us recording these episodes, it's crystal clear at this stage in our life what we're thinking. And it's great to see as we mature what changes in thinking we're going to have along with what thoughts are pretty much still the same. You ever thought about it like that? Yes. And, you know, back in 2018, I wrote an article that was basically about how Bitcoin is bullshit. <laughs> and it's amazing now when you're looking back at it and you're like, did I type that? Was that me? No, it was basically my lack of knowledge and understanding about what Bitcoin actually was. I was thinking of Bitcoin as an investment, like a stock. So naturally your next thought is, well, then if it's like a stock, where is the underlying value in it? Like it just, there's nothing, it's just a piece of code. So it's bullshit then. But when you think about it from more along the terms of money, well, then, yeah, it's a much better form of money than the fiat currencies we are using, which are being rapidly inflated away by governments across the world. And then it makes more sense. So I was just looking at Bitcoin the wrong way. I was looking at it from the perspective of an investment where as an investor, I'm trying to increase my balance in fiat. So I was comparing it to equities. And equities have a company or whatever underneath it, which gives it gives it value. But Bitcoin does not have that. So mm-hmm. I I thought Bitcoin was complete nonsense and a scam. But as I looked into it more, I found that it's not about it's not an investment at all. It's just currency. Like it's it's not like a stock. It is literally cash. It is a currency. And as a currency, it is extreme. It is completely superior in every single way to any other fiat currency in the world. It's a better product. It's like, you know, comparing an MP3 player to a smartphone, like the smartphone is better. So Mm -hmm. now I get it and I have changed my opinion. So it is how it is. I was And it it takes courage to admit when you're wrong. Where nowadays, when you're creating content or any form of insights, whether it's on YouTube, podcasts, Twitter, etc., there's going to be a lot of times when you're looking back and you're thinking, huh, this particular insight that I had, this opinion is something that I've changed my mind on. Where I believe weak people are like, 
nope, I didn't change anything. I'm just going to double down on this. And even though they know that they're fundamentally incorrect, they'll try to double down on why they weren't incorrect, where courageous people have no problem being wrong because that's just a part of learning. The more experiences that you get, the more that it's okay to change your viewpoints on certain opinions that you once had. I definitely agree. And I think it's more important for people like us because, see, humans have this tendency of when you claim something to be true, you invest a portion of your identity and, um, let's say, a portion of your proportion of yourself into that thought or that idea and to then go against what you said it becomes a reputational and a, a question of well you said this earlier so you're not are you going to stick by what you said or are you just going to keep changing your thoughts so for people like us who make content it's even more important to keep in mind and avoid the tendency of doubling down on things that are wrong. Right. So it's, it's very important for us to be able to change our opinions and to not become attached to a particular opinion. And that happens throughout your life, even as you keep maturing. Let's say that, like, like the earlier example I gave you, when I was 16, I would have thought that this guy who committed suicide because his wife screwed him and his family over should not have committed suicide and should have instead killed the person who did that to him at 25 i get what he went through and why he committed suicide but i no longer think he should have killed that person i think that Mm -hmm. there are better ways to deal with that now I, i i don't think that spending 20 years in jail is worth it so right i have Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, because when you were bringing up that example, I believe around that time, I brought up the concept of rock bottom. And that's something that my perception has changed on, where I believe us as humans, we have multiple rock bottoms throughout our our lives. Where nowadays, when I'm looking back at that moment, I'm thinking, and that was a tough time. But, you know, throughout my life, I'm sure that there's going to be much more tougher times in the near future. And I believe that shows who has a level of mentality and who doesn't, who can keep coming back from these iterative rock bottom moments and keep coming back stronger. So in younger me thought there was only one rock bottom moment that a person faces in their life, but older me understands that there's multiple of these tough moments that we have to face, which causes us to become tougher, hopefully, or become more bitter. And the choice is always ours. Exactly. So, see, you never want to completely end the game for yourself, either by doing stupid things to yourself or doing something completely rash that leads with you ending up in jail for a long period of time. So you you want to stay in the game because if you stay in the game, you can play the game so things become better for you. But if you do dumb things like a a 16-year-old would do, Mm-hmm. you would end up making such emotional decisions that your own life would no longer be worth living. So if you right. 
essentially don't take yourself out in the sense that you know you you don't destroy your own life mhm in almost every situation you can figure out how you can make your own life better for example take this guy like the guy that's this guy's example there are many things he could have done he could have moved out found a new girlfriend found a better job he could have just moved to a different country maybe there he had solutions but he just gave up hope so i think the most important thing is to stay put man like things will get better if you work on them right and i'm probably going to get a little dark right now but here it is i would say 11th grade or 12th grade i had this one friend that i knew in the 5th grade his name was sage we ended up getting separated because we went to different high schools and in 11th grade it just so happened that we still went to different high schools but we ended up taking the same school bus so sage had these long tall spikes it was at least 4 to 5 inches long spikes and his hair was blue so soon as i saw those spikes in the bus i immediately recognized my 5th grade friend so i go up to sage and he immediately recognizes me we're talking we're catching up and routinely at this point we're seeing each other in the bus well that summer i ended up finding out that sage committed suicide he apparently shot himself in the head and i was thinking damn dude i was actually just speaking to him a couple of weeks back and i couldn't picture how a guy in his 11th or 12th grade self was going to kill himself and a part of me probably nowadays thinks that he thought he was going through the toughest time at this point in his life where i don't see that's where i think it's bad when you think you only have one rock bottom moment because there's not a part of your imagination that's getting engaged and thinking you know this is probably just a setup for something else when you think that this is the worst thing that you're going through that's when thoughts that sage entertained become a reality which is unfortunately why he killed himself but when you understand that there's this game where yes there's going to be tougher rock bottom moments but i'm going to be getting tougher throughout this that's when you just want to keep on pushing on so that's what sage taught me harsh where even when you're young a philosophy helps out tremendously and the fundamental philosophy is to just keep on keeping on you know because i don't think philosophy helps out in situations like these i you know you have a toothache all of your philosophies will just vanish mhm well i don't mean philosophy as in like you try to logic it out you know but i think helps? this is the time where a belief in god is the most useful Mm. and it's it's like as i said earlier like believing in god is not logical but humans need it but that's a philosophy too isn't it i would say philosophy would be say thinking like things will get better i will find a way and if i keep working things will keep improving and all of those things work but when you are in a situation where 
we are literally feeling suicidal that's a point where all of these philosophies have already failed in the sense that you are at a point where even though you know these things to be true you feel that you, screw it like I, i i don't see a way out so let's end it and i think that the concept of god is very useful here i see where you're coming from because and i agree with you i i, I think what we're saying is pretty much the same thing but i think we're wording it in different ways where yes at this moment when your back is against the wall i don't necessarily understand what sage was going through i don't even know his belief system but i do see what you're coming from when your back is against the wall that's when you give someone else your pain that's what you're saying right yes you essentially trust in something beyond you when you cannot trust in your own self and i'll tell you why philosophies don't work okay because philosophies are intellectual and humans are emotional and of course the being stoic in philosophies definitely help but someone who is already in such a state needs god he does not need philosophy and even in your own life arman let's say that you crack a tooth no amount of thinking that things will get better is going to help with the pain right and i don't necessarily mean philosophy in terms of thinking where you're sitting down as you have a toothache and you're like all right let me break down at the root of why i have a toothache that sort of stuff i mean a subconscious philosophy is a narrative that you don't even think to question where does that make sense before i explain further I somewhat I understand it but not completely. Where I'm basically not saying that because I'm one of the few people that consistently says that logic is not going to cut it. And I I think right now the way you're thinking I'm using philosophy is where I'm saying you got to logic your way out of this. Mm, okay, I'm thinking of the stoics and people like that, yes. Right, but that's not what I mean. I do understand that that's what a definition for philosophy is where you're thinking you're reasoning but what i meant is that you have this underlying narrative that's so subconscious where you're not even thinking to question it and i i believe i should have been a little bit more clear but wh- the more you're explaining what you're explaining the more that i'm thinking yo that's pretty much what i'm saying but i'm not necessarily using it in the phrase of philosophy where in sage's example there's two narratives that i believe that a person has either this is the worst rock bottom that there's going to be or there's going to be another a better moment in life and i believe this is something that's happening at a subconscious level i don't think it's okay let me sit down and let me reason it out so that's what i meant by philosophy something that is subconscious at this point and that's governing your other moves hmm that makes sense although i will say that people who are at rock bottom or you know i don't think they truly understand that they are at rock bottom i think that they 
they have this thought in their head about what could have been. So had I done things differently, what could I have been? And they see the gap between where they are and where they could have been. And they feel that having lost so much, they might as well just stop playing. I think that is the psychology behind it. Interesting. And what you just described is regret. That's the formula for regret as well, where you're constantly thinking, man, it could have been like this. It could have been like that or this. And this is causing regret. Yes, I think I think that emotion gets people to kill themselves, not just plain sadness. Right, it's a build-up that's happening, and then the suicide is the final thing that happens. Yeah, so essentially, the last thing you want to do when you're feeling guilt and regret is that you don't want to sit in your room and keep thinking the same thing over and over. Like you don't want to keep regurgitating the same emotions and then swallowing them and doing that over and over again, because that's going to drive you insane. And that's what these guys end up doing, where they keep processing the same emotions in a loop and it keeps driving them unstable. It, It just fucks with their head. Yeah, man. And it's, it's sad because you don't necessarily know who this can happen to. And I don't like to bring up famous people too much with you, Harsh, because I know you don't necessarily follow them. Uh, but there was a chef, uh, Anthony Bourdain. And I don't know if you heard of him or if you I saw him on your timeline. I know yeah, one guy, this... though. I know, I know Kurt Cobain. If you oh, you know him? him? Yeah, from Nirvana. Nirvana, yeah. I, I know him. My friend told me about him. Right. And he's someone that you wouldn't expect it from. And with the Anthony Bourdain guy, a lot of people think that he has the dream job. He's basically a traveling chef. He goes to different parts of the world, goes to beautiful areas, tries their food. Uh, there's a show about him. And people are thinking, yo, man, this guy has a perfect life. But wait, he committed suicide? No way. Another guy was Robin Williams, who's a famous comedian that gets paid to make people laugh. And he was another guy that killed himself. Wasn't this so you like can never two, three years ago? With Anthony Bourdain or Robin Williams? Uh, this the comedian. With the comedian, let me check. This happened in 2014. Oh, okay. Because there was another comedian who killed himself recently. I remember people tweeting about it. Let me check if Anthony Bourdain was also a comedian. Uh... I know he did a few things. And I know his death was widely publicized. No, he's a chef, author, and documentarian. There's something called the 27 Club. Have you heard of that? Like where a lot of artists kill themselves at 27. That's how so some went on told me about Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. I was learning more about it. And I came across this thing called the 27 Club. And apparently a lot of singers and musicians have committed suicide at the specific age of 27. Dude, that was my first time hearing about it, but I'm Googling it right now. And I see all these names. Whoa. How'd you hear about this? So I was 
talking about this Nirvana song called Smells Like Teen Spirit. And mm-hmm. I was asking my friend who is a lot into music, I think about their newer songs. Like, can you recommend me something good? And he said the guy who sings it died. And I was looking into it. I, I wanted to find out why he died. Because my friend said he left some kind of letter. So I was reading his letter. And I came across this 27 Club on Wikipedia. And it, it's very interesting. Like, why 27? Although it might just be that there's the same amount of people killing themselves at 26 and 28, but this number mm-hmm. somehow got popular. It could be the case. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, there was another guy, uh, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. Have you heard of that? I have Lincoln heard Park. of Lincoln Park. I do not know about the other, the person. I, I know the band. I know the song in the end. Right. So the lead singer of Lincoln Park... Uh, Chester Bennington ended up killing himself. That one was shocking to me, man, because my my brother, my cousin, we actually went to their concert, met the guy, and he seemed so full of life. So it's one of these situations where you can never predict it. You know, I think that most suicides happen because of relationship and family related issues and not because of financial issues. Like I would say that you would get more, and I tweeted this recently that you will get more happiness and, you know, pleasure from your life from a good stable family than you would get from making any amount of money. Like people from stable, happy families don't kill themselves. Rich people will if they don't have stable families. So I think that for human happiness and stability, having a stable family is important. And I would I would wager that most suicides happen from people with damaged or broken families. In fact, I think that Divorce is a big precedent for many suicides. The person going through the divorce or their parents going through the divorce no, the in their childhood? Going the divorce. So the person who goes through the divorce, he, he, for a year or two, his chances of committing suicide are very high. So I remember reading this uh, CIA interrogation guide that I downloaded from the dark web a long time ago. And it says that there are two times a person is very vulnerable to defecting and manipulation. And that is one where he has just essentially lost a loved one. Like, Like he has had a divorce basically. And the second is when he's going through extreme financial troubles. So there are two times where people are extremely vulnerable emotionally. And for the divorce, would you say it's men or women as well that you're grouping in this divorce category? I don't know. I I don't know the precise statistics of this. So I don't want to make a claim. But Mm -hmm. I do know that men are far more likely to kill themselves than women. I think like three or four times more likely. So, Harsh, I was on YouTube recently 
and there was this random video that just popped up on the popular video sections and it just wrote i'm divorced period and it was this girl that was documenting her breakup from a 12-year relationship and i would say 20 to 30 years ago you didn't see someone just going through divorce and airing out exactly how the process is and she's basically bringing up the emotional like you keep hearing about people getting divorced yeah i I believe in the u.s 53 percent 53 percentage of marriages end in divorce i heard the statistic thrown around i don't know where they got the statistic but it's something that i've been hearing that's insane man but go ahead with what you were telling me yeah dude so she's basically just documenting her divorce at one moment she's happy she's feeling good and the next moment she's crying she feels lonely and it's a 12-year relationship mind you so apparently they had yeah apparently they had started the youtube channel together so her getting this divorce causes her to tell the audience what happened and she's being pretty vulnerable and it's compelling to watch because i noticed more creators nowadays on youtube are documenting this journey and another one uh, harsh was this lady that i was following initially for how to do keyword research on youtube and her whole channel was based around youtube growth and tactics but she started a separate channel where she was doing vlogs with her husband and it turned out that her husband cheated on her with another guy and uh, she ended up getting a divorce yeah dude so the husband was gay and she's basically documenting her whole journey that come back for her i feel bad for her yeah dude and it's you know if you think about it it's pretty traumatizing for her <laughs> because apparently she's been uh, married or dating the guy for 10 to 15 plus years yeah, at that point your whole marriage is a lie yeah dude and just to take it one step further this is another statistic i heard i don't know where they're getting these numbers from but the statistic said that for you to get over a heartbreak you have to get how long you were involved with a person and divided by two so let's say you're in a 12 year old 12 year marriage for you to move on apparently it takes six years i don't know how accurate that is have you ever had to deal with a heartbreak before nothing too serious i have not been in i've never become too attached to women i'm i'm generally very detached gotcha so you probably can't validate the two or divide by two rule and i think it may be true for certain groups of people if they don't have other activities i believe if you're trying to level up and improve yourself in some way shape or form that number can reduce but that's just me spitballing right here see all i would say is that you know if you have a dog and you love your dog and your dog dies the easiest way to move on would be to buy a new dog <laughs> and i will leave it at that and people okay. can drop it Man. I mean, like, see, if you have no dog, then you will constantly keep thinking about all the fun times you had with your dog, right? <laughs> and so they keep making the process much harder. But if you buy a new dog, then you can focus your energy on the new dog. So if you draw the conclusion, you will find out <laughs> what you need to do. 
Bro, this is one of our deeper episodes thus far. <laughs> we've talked about the nature of reality. We've talked about suicide. We've talked about divorce, heartbreak, and much more. And folks, if when you're listening to this podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe right on below. If you're listening from YouTube, if you're listening from a podcast provider, hit subscribe because Life, Math, Money, and I are going to consistently keep on releasing these unapologetic truths episodes and talk about the good and the dark side of reality. How are you enjoying today's episode, Harsh? It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy these conversations we have together because there's not many people out there who can discuss these things. Most people want to talk about unimportant things or you know, they lack curiosity. So it's always good to have decent conversation partners who are on your level and i believe that's what makes this podcast interesting for everyone as well because they get something better than everyone else who's talking about tiktok and stupid (laughs) things you know i started to respect podcasters and people who have these long-form conversations on their podcast or their YouTube channel, because when you're conversing with someone harsh for a prolonged period of time, you're trying to enter a similar wavelength as them. Because just for your and my relationship, we're friends, but we're not talking every single other day. We're pretty much catching up on these episodes. So you and I have different experiences, different upbringing. And as we're trying to communicate for two plus hours, we're trying to feel each other out where sometimes as I'm about to start a topic, I'm thinking, huh, is Harsh going to know this particular person? No, let me change it to this topic instead. And I'm sure you sometimes do that for me, unless you pretty much share whatever comes to your mind. I and share what comes to my mind. I, I, don't, I don't filter myself that way. It's because yeah. to an extent, our podcasts are not just made for the two of us, it's also made for the person who's listening to it. Yeah. And, you know, much love to the people listening to it. But I personally don't think of it as, okay, me and Harsh are creating it for this particular person. My philosophy is, how can I talk to Harsh for a prolonged period of time? And since we do have different upbringings, where as I'm asking you certain questions, I'm thinking, huh, this is going to be interesting. Let's try it out. And sometimes I'm thinking, man, Harsh is probably not going to have anything to say for this. And then you're over here giving your ideas. I'm thinking, man, Harsh is a very well-rounded kind of guy. <laughs> so I've been I've been respecting these different podcasters. And I believe in one of our episodes, you brought up Joe Rogan. And what he Who does is, is extremely... favorite podcaster? Dude, so this may sound weird, but I don't listen to podcasts like that where I predominantly list either will read a book or watch YouTube videos. I mean, podcast every now and then I'll listen to it if someone else is playing it. So I would say our podcast, man, unapologetic truth is the best one. With the exception of us, which podcast do you enjoy listening to? No, I was just joking about us. I mean, I wouldn't say that answer even though it's the best. No, um, I would say, honestly, I've been listening to Joe Rogan's one a little bit more after you brought that up. 
I enjoy hardcore history, and I like the Ben Shapiro's podcast for his delivery. I admire his. The content is great、uh, in terms of how he delivers it, but I love the way that he's able to clearly explain points, which I think is an art. So. That's、he、a great podcast. I think that he has the same issue that I do. I speak too fast, and that takes away from what I'm saying. I think Ben Shapiro has the same problem. He just rambles too fast, which makes him look weaker than someone who would speak slowly. Gotcha. The pacing. Well, what I meant was more in terms of his ability to compress ideas into something that anyone can understand. And to give you an example, you've heard of Jeff Bezos, right? Yes.、Who、so Jeff、it? Bezos, right?、Uh, so Jeff Bezos, in my opinion, is one of the best communicators on planet Earth. This is my personal opinion because he has a few things that I think make up a great communicator. He's simple. He gets to the point, and he's a little goofy, which makes him a funny personality. You can't always predict how he's going to deliver something. Well, imagine my surprise, Harsh, when I saw a group of people、uh, on a comment of one of his interviews saying that Jeff Bezos is one of the worst communicators out there. He talks so slow and he's so boring. And it was getting so many likes,、uh, so many other comments agreeing. And I thought, huh, this communication skills thing is so freaking subjective. Where me on one side of the spectrum is saying this guy speaks amazing. And another group of people are saying, "Man, this guy sucks." Have you had that experience where you admire something someone did in terms of communicating, and someone's like, "Eh, I don't like his delivery that much." It's actually a very specific question I just asked you. Too specific. Although <laughs>、uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called "The Book of Book," and I really love how he has written the book. So it's a very It's a very engaging book to read, and it's available for free on bookofbook.com. And to to be completely transparent, I own that website. So yeah, so this guy. But I've heard people also criticize that delivery style as a little childish. So yeah, there's definitely many perspectives. Although I would say that there are certain things which are, which apply to most situations and can generally be held to be true. For example, a deep voice is very authoritative. So my voice, it's not that deep. So I come off as very approachable, humble, and someone who is very friendly. But that's just because my voice is not very deep. But if my voice was very deep, <laughs> I would come off as more dominant and authoritative, and more like a leader. So it's just some. These are things that you cannot change. Like you, I, I can't change my voice. Like there's nothing I can do. And someone with a deeper voice can't change his voice to sound more approachable and friendly. It is just how God made certain people. But there are also other things that people can change. And for example, if you take speed of speaking, 
people who speak very fast and i have this issue to an extent and i'm trying to fix it people who speak very fast come off as insecure and not sure of themselves they come off as nervous and you can test this with children so if you are say in a classroom and you're talking to children if you talk in a high pitched voice and you speak very fast kids will not take you seriously but if you talk like this like you talk with a very deep voice and you speak slowly children will start listening and obeying what you say so mm-hmm. it is i would not say it's completely subjective I, w- i would say that it is 90% inbuilt dna psychology and 10% subjectivity as for the deep voice harsh i i do have a different perspective in regards to that Mm-hmm. I believe you can deepen your voice with certain exercises and just for sake of clarity I'm going to link the video in the description box which I did I created two videos on it harsh and I was noticing this in myself when I would say on YouTube thus far I've released over 300 videos and I noticed in the beginning of my YouTube journey my voice was pretty high pitched but it's not something that I noticed But since doing a few exercises I've been able to deepen it a little bit at a time not a lot at a time but just gradually over time and it starts to build up and the fundamental thing that I realized is a thing called ninja breathing have you ever heard of that I have not so it's the ability to silence your breath completely and if you can practice this over and over your voice naturally will become a tad bit deeper and this is something that you know i've made a video on so i don't want to explain the whole thing here i'll link it in the description box and the pinned comment right on below but i do see the voice as something that's different than height i believe it's something that is dynamic and it could be shaped to your desires i would say you could make a certain amount of adjustment so for example if you him the happy birthday thing and speak for a couple of seconds your voice will be very resonant so if i say so i just hemmed the happy birthday thing and you can already hear how much more resonant my voice is and you can try it for yourself like you will find just in a second your voice will change now imagine that humming exercise you just gave me and imagine doing that for 2 minutes try try doing it Hello. Yeah, speak more. Hello, Harsh. How are you doing today, my good friend? Do well, you notice the depth. Well, my voice is pretty deep at this stage, but I do see what you're saying, and that's pretty much one of my fixes as well, where you could do the humming method. Another method that I recommend is you spend 1 to 2 minutes focusing on your heart area so if i tell you right now to uh, lick your lips and focus on your lips immediately your awareness is going to follow where your lips are likewise if you do the same thing with the heart and you put a lot of awareness there then you say hello and you say a statement then again your voice is going to be deeper the okay. reason that this is me the- testing out what armani has said So I'm focusing on my heart and I'm speaking. Yeah, that does sound different. 
Well, you don't want to speak as you focus on the heart. What you want to do is spend at least two to five minutes just bringing all your conscious awareness to the heart. Then once the two to five minutes are up, then you want to speak. Now, what you're doing, Harsh, is you're conditioning yourself from a head communicator into a heart communicator. Have you ever heard of the phrase called speak from the heart? I have heard that, but I think that has to do with emotion, correct? Right. So that basically is a phrase that say, uh, you know, speak with some passion, speak from the heart. But what I'm saying is that you're also supposed to take this very literally. And I'm going to link the video in the description box. And this is um, how to fix a nasally voice Armani talks. So if you're listening from podcast, you could just type in those keywords on YouTube and it'll come up. Basically, Harsh, the logical reason why a lot of people are nasally is because when they think of communication, they meant, they immediately think of speaking, right? They think of the head. Sort of like when I say picture listening, immediately people picture the ears. But the problem with thinking about communication with the head is that you put way more awareness on the head region, which makes you a chest communicator or a nose communicator, which is even worse. Instead, when you're viewing communication skills, you should view it as an expression of your entire body rather than just words. And when you do that, you start to center yourself more. I break down the logic in that video, uh, but overall, once you can keep conditioning yourself every single day for one to two minutes to become a heart communicator, your voice over time starts to pick up a deeper resonance. And it's not something that just shows up temporarily and fleets. It's something that you can do long-term. It's sort of like when you're practicing stretching for the first time, you go back to your initial state. Are you one of those people that could touch your toes? Yeah. I know people that cannot, but if you force them to touch it, they'll be able to, and then they just go back to their normal self. But if they can keep practicing touching their toe every single day, eventually it becomes light work. So from my experience, I I, I had to do that. I initially, I could not touch my toes, but I had to practice for a while. And now mm -hmm. I can touch my fists to the ground. Gotcha. And this is what I've noticed with voices. I actually had this one guy from Texas hit me up and he's like, dude, I used to have such a monotone voice before, but then I played your one word game on that one YouTube video that you recommended. And Basically, the one word game is when you're just saying one word at a time and you're saying it with as much color as you possibly can. So he played the one word game every single day for two to three months straight. And then he started to build more confidence, which allowed him to persuade others. And from that video, he was able to change his voice and he got a promotion apparently. And nowadays, rather than just working at the cube, He leads a group of people. So small changes in the domain of the voice start to add up. Even though we ourselves cannot notice it, others definitely pick it up. So this is something that I've learned from my experience. That's very interesting. Can you tell me more about the one word game? That sounds very new to me. I have never heard of that before. And I'm glad you said new because... I believe within the next couple of months to years, 
more people are going to get curious about how to communicate and follow certain games and frameworks. So don't be surprised if you see the Armani Tux YouTube channel growing in popularity in the coming years. But I'm glad hey, you used the phrase. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. And you introduced a lot of people to the brand. But basically, Harsh, the concept is when a lot of people are learning how to play a guitar, for example, rather than immediately jumping into uh, the strumming process, they familiarize themselves with one string at a time. Likewise, you could do the same thing with your voice. A lot of people, when they're trying to fix their voice, they try to focus too much on sentences which is similar to the guitar player who has never played a song trying to play a song. So what you want to do is warm up with one string at a time, aka one word at a time. So you can do this by assigning yourself a topic and you bringing this topic to life by just outputting one word at a time. And in between each of these words, Harsh, you want to insert a silence. And the more that you insert that silence, the more that you start to give each word the respect, which allows you to, at a fundamental level, change your voice and experiment with the different tonalities that you possess. So, so either you could... It's so e- like this. Yes. And as you're bringing this topic to life, you want to experiment with the words. So each word get bold with it where for one word it may sound a certain way another word it may sound another way but now you're becoming more in tune it's sort of like atomic habits but the voice version have you ever read atomic habits by james clear i have not he talks about changing habits at a fundamental level and once you can make these incremental changes it starts to lead to macroscopic changes. That's pretty much how the voice works as well. So you could also just read a book out loud and just focus on one word at a time. And eventually, these discrete movements start to become much more analog and starts to change your voice at a fundamental level. So you could see it firsthand from my YouTube channel. Watch my first ever video versus now, and you'll notice a massive change. But as I was going through these videos, I didn't notice the change because I was the one that was going through it. And I'm sure you could relate with the body. Have you ever had that one moment when you're either bulking or cutting and you yourself cannot see the changes too much because you're always with yourself? But when your friend who hasn't seen you in a long time sees you, they're like, dang, Harsh, look at those shoulders. You're huge now. Yeah, that absolutely happens a lot. Especially with the lockdown where you didn't see people for a while and then suddenly your body has changed. You know what helps? Taking progress pictures because your body changes so slowly that you don't notice it at all. But if you take progress pictures, you will be able to see how different your body is every single month. I'm glad you brought up the progress pictures because that's pretty much the same concept I apply to YouTube, where you don't necessarily notice these changes, but once you watch your old videos back, you'll notice the changes. So with some of my clients, Harsh, I have them start a private YouTube channel, which is something which is pretty easy to set up. You just make the videos private and you're experimenting. 
I call this the articulation chamber, where you are creating a gym to exercise your voice, to understand your ideas, and to better express yourself. And just like the way that we go to the gym, Harsh, we have the articulation chamber to learn how to communicate better. So these are a lot of the innovative new concepts that I'm bringing up in the channel, because I noticed that there's a lot of tips on communication skills, but it's too fluffy. It doesn't give you concrete principles that anyone can apply. Do you think that singing might be a useful tool? Absolutely. I noticed a lot of the people who discover my channel are singers. They typed in certain keywords that speakers face issues with, but they viewed it from the context of singers. And one of the examples is a cracking voice. If your mouth is too dry and your voice cracks, you'll notice that as a speaker, this causes issues. But singers have the same exact problems, so singers can apply a lot of tips from speakers, and speakers can apply a lot of tips from singers. What do you think of cracking voices? I don't personally think they sound that bad at all. Have you watched The Godfather? Man, don't hate me for it, but I've never watched it from beginning to end. I just watched it when they were showing it on TV, but I picked it up right where. I watched it from, but never from beginning to end. So there's a main guy called Vito Corleone, and that guy has crackly voice, but his voice fits his character. It sounds really good. I know who you're talking about. He has that mobster voice. He sounds like he sounds like this. I don't even think I can mimic it. <laughs> I know exactly who you're speaking about. That's why your voice is your brand. You don't necessarily want to sound like another person. You want to sound to the best version of you. Where a guy like you, you have a pretty straightforward voice that makes points. My voice can never be like yours. Your voice can never be like mine. So we just want to see how we can bring up our identity to the best of our abilities. So fixing your voice harsh is. Is something that is an extension of your personality. It's sort of like with body types; you can't necessarily have the same exact body type as someone else, because at a baseline level, it's different. It's a DNA thing to an extent. Hmm. So, you still bulking, or are you cutting now? Oh, I'm cutting right now. I'm so I bulked too much. I've went from 80 kg to 100 kg in like 6 7 months and now i'm trying to get back to 85ish so i'm eating like 2000 calories which is a good enough deficit i'm losing 1 kg per week so in i'm 95 kg right now so i've been cutting for a month now or a little over a month so i think In two and a half, three months, I should be down to eighty-five. Gotcha. My bulking formula is simple: two thousand calories and two hundred grams of protein. Which means, since I'm a vegetarian, I I don't eat meat, so my breakfast is twenty egg whites. Which sounds insane, but it's not that mm. hard. Like you get used to it, <laughs> right? Which, which has like about seventy. One grams of protein, and you don't eat the yolk as well. 
I don't eat the yolk. It has too many calories. So if you're on a cut and you're eating egg yolk, then you're just being stupid because you're eating a lot of calories. So I only eat two. I have 20 egg whites in the morning and I will mm-hmm. have four scoops of whey before I sleep. And in the during the day, I will have normal food, which has like 30, 40, 50 grams. So I would touch 200 grams in 2000 calories. It is really difficult to have 2000, 200 grams of protein in 2000 calories, like harder than people think. You need to have a lot of whey and a lot of egg whites. Okay, so you take protein shakes. I take a lot of protein shakes. I have four scoops a day. Hmm. Dang. Do you, um, let me see, do you find anything different from bulking versus cutting in terms of energy levels? Not that much because when I cut, I don't do the whole intermittent fasting thing that people do where they try to do keto and everything where their the carbohydrate content is very low. When I cut, I minimize my fat levels. So I eat mostly protein and carbs. And if you eat a lot of carbs, then you will not feel sluggish. Gotcha. I actually had one of the other viewers who asked me to ask you about your viewpoints on fitness and health. And I believe we're speaking about this right now. Did you have any other things you wanted to tell people that were looking to become more fit? Read Starting Strength by Mark Repetto and do that program. Don't waste your time on things like dancing, jogging, yoga, cardio, swimming, and things like that. Just strength train. Stop doing things that don't work well for your intended purpose. Just lift weights. Start strength training. That works the best. Everything else is either cardio or a very roundabout way of getting there. And I believe this uh, particular viewer is Indian. So I'm thinking he's vegetarian, but I'm not 100% sure. But I'll just say that he is. If he is a vegetarian, how would you recommend he eats? Up the egg whites and protein? So most Indian vegetarians do not eat eggs which is something even I did not do before, but I started doing now because it's very convenient. But if Man, you are- how do you guys get protein? Let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> you eat a lot of dal? Uh, you know I, what dal is? What? Dal. Oh, dal. Yeah, I know that. Uh-huh. Dal has a lot of carbs you? as well. I've never heard anyone pronounce it dal. It's dal. Isn't that what I said? Dal? Or am I saying it differently? A little differently. Like not 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 too differently, but you're making it sound like a different word. So Gotcha. Bro, I'm surprised. I mean, like, you don't have to answer this, but how do you get protein? You must drink a lot of protein shakes. So when I was bulking on without the egg whites, I could still manage like 250 grams of protein. But that was on a 3000 plus calorie diet. And I was eating like 180 grams of fat. 180 grams of fat. And how much protein? 220 to 250. And do you remember how much carbs? I don't remember how much carbs. 
I think it was gotcha. closer to 400. I, I was eating like 4,000, 3,500 calories. I was eating about mm-hmm. 400 carbs, a lot of fat. I was basically eating a lot. And <laughs> I can imagine. The primary thing I was eating during those times was paneer. And paneer has protein and lots of fat. The big issue while cutting is that on a vegetarian diet, you can't cut carbohydrates. It's impossible because everything is carbs. So you have to cut fat. Mm-hmm. Well, your main source of protein is dairy. And dairy is right. rich in fat. So you, you have to <laughs> eat essentially synthetic food. Like not exactly synthetic, but somewhat processed. Like you have to eat fat-free food. Like you have to eat fat-free curd. Because you're not... Fat is nine calories, which is a lot of calories. So you want to minimize your fat content that you're eating. So you would eat, say, I would say fat-free curd is processed curd. Like, you, would you agree with that? Fat-free curd is processed curd. Like, it's somewhat processed. I'll... Like, it's you've removed, like, a portion of the food there. Right. Yeah, so, I don't know much about that, but yeah, I'll take your word for that one. I don't know much about curd. I think what they do is they spin it around very fast, like centrifugal force, and it separates out the various contents of the curd, and they remove mm-hmm. the fat and use it for different things. So it isn't exactly like a process process in the sense that it's not damaging the food that much. Mm-hmm. But it did, did go through something which made it less natural. So you have to do that. You have to... eat more besan than wheat because it has more protein in fact i did an entire article on this so if you look on my website for high protein vegetarian diet i mm-hmm. did an entire article on how you can increase protein in the indian diet because okay, i'll link that the average vegetarian indian diet is completely devoid of protein people who are vegetarians and indian they're eating like 30 grams of protein a day which is so absurdly low Dirty man, that's really low. Yeah, that's really low. But did you have one of those people who's like, "Yeah, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat fish." I think <laughs> there's a, a lot of people here India. that say that. There's a state in India. I think Bengal has that. Even the Brahmins eat fish there. But that's a different diet. It's called pescatarian, isn't it? Rather than vegetarian. I don't know. I think they consider uh, fish to be vegetarian. I I had a friend who was Bengali, and she was telling me that. fish is considered to be vegetarian there gotcha yeah i had a cousin who was telling me that she's Have like yeah i'm a fish? vegetarian now but yeah i love fish dude oh i never had fish it it stinks too much and now it just it's just icky like i've never had any seafood ever no shrimp no i'm i'm a vegetarian so definitely no shrimp oh yeah yeah but even the idea of trying fish just seems a little weird to me Then sushi must sound extremely weird. It's raw fish. You can eat raw fish. I thought that's dangerous. Well, I believe they boil it or something like that, but they don't fully cook it. See, I don't even know much about sushi, but I can already tell you this is some Chinese or Japanese thing. Yeah, dude. One of the places in Tampa, it's called Koizi, and it's unlimited sushi buffet, and they bring the food to you. I have a friend who cannot eat that. Like the mere idea of fish makes him nauseous, let alone sushi. But me, my friends, we love it, man. I never had 
sushi shrimp though i i didn't even know people ate raw fish i thought that would be very unsafe to do i remember learning back in school about something called the minamata incident where oh, and you are about to ruin fish for me <laughs> that's why i said that it's probably the sushi thing is probably something from china or japan because those guys do weird things with fish like they were eating th- fish that had mercury in it okay i think they boil it or they do something because if it's that on unhealthy i don't think they'd be serving it in the restaurant so i'm pretty sure they boil it but still it's not fully cooked that's it's, what i'm it's not fully cooked does it taste good tastes really good man they put some seaweed rice wait they eat avocado seaweed? yeah dude that's it isn't that like grass of the sea Yeah man you you got me double thinking all of this <laughs> <laughs> let me not ruin it for you <laughs> and next time my friends hit me up hey man you trying to go to Koisi as a matter of fact no <laughs> <laughs> well there's a big thing man i'm glad i asked you about the vegetarian side of the fitness because this is something i don't think much people from the west think about because for us i mean chicken protein steak i mean these are staples but your guys's diets vastly different it is almost completely different and you know our diet that what indians were eating say in ancient times as vegetarians is very different from what indians eat right now so you know when i wrote my article about how to increase protein in the indian diet and i said that the average indian vegetarian diet is very shitty and does not have enough protein some people were like our ancestors have been eating it and they they haven't they they really have not been eating the same things you have been eating so the average indian vegetarian diet is almost primarily composed of wheat tomatoes potatoes and bread now here are certain things here are some facts about indian food okay potatoes are not an indian food they were introduced to india by the portuguese about 300 years ago so i think it was in the 17th century so if your ancestors didn't even know what a potato was like not they didn't even have the concept of a potato this is something the europeans brought in tomatoes were also introduced by the portuguese in the 16th century like 400 years ago 4 or 500 years ago so your ancestors did not even know what a tomato was they were not eating tomatoes so the concept of you saying that my ancestors were eating this food was ridiculous if you take wheat wheat was not very popular in india so we had something called the green revolution after we got independent and that's because people were starving so what we did was we were using these high yielding varieties of wheat and earlier it was barely it was not a popular food but then it suddenly exploded in popularity because it was very resistant to pests and it had a very high output so now almost every indian eats wheat but that was not the case your ancestors were not primarily eating wheat so currently what you're eating is wheat potatoes and tomatoes your ancestors were not eating this food if you take bread bread was also the the, the fluffy bread is not indian it's it was bought by europeans so 
what the average indian vegetarian person eats he thinks that this is the food his people have been eating for thousands of years so it must be healthy that notion is completely ridiculous and total bullshit this is this what people have just started eating very recently and you can already see all these people get diabetes and heart attacks at the age of 55 so it's complete nonsense and when you make points like this harsh is there one of those you just mentioned that there is blowback but are they willing to change when they hear some some logic as to why the diet could be made more optimal so it depends so you cannot so if you know if we are friends and we're just having a conversation and then i tell you about this you're not going to change but if you're actively looking for information and you found my site and you read my article then you are likely to change so it depends on whether the information was something that you were looking for or whether it is something that is being imparted down your to throat. you yeah push down your throat yeah mhm i have this one friend who's starting a keto supplement company and for him the keto diet is the best diet out there and if you tell him anything otherwise he's going to shoot you down and he, here there's so many people that create this dogma around the diet that they have some people will say no 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 keto is the best no the fasted diet's the best no the meat diet is the best and there's this cult that could be formed you know what's wrong with a regular balanced diet like why does everyone have to have some kind of special diet like why can't what i have yet i'm yet to hear a rational argument against what is wrong with eating a healthy diet why does everyone have to do something special like veganism or keto or fasted food like why like, like if you take intermittent fasting that's like you know speaking american for saying i don't eat breakfast what is wrong with just eating normal food so first of all i don't eat breakfast personally i don't eat breakfast breakfast is not healthy but nutritionally speaking with your protein fat and carbohydrates what is wrong with eating high protein and high carb and low fat with just nothing is wrong with that but you have people essentially forming cults like you said mhm and this happens in most parts of life doesn't it where i saw another debate that was happening recently between branding guys and direct response guys and they were just going back and forth a branding guys were basically shitting on the copywriting guys and the copywriting guys were talking down on the branding guys and i'm thinking is there a room for both i mean can you mix both into your business or do you have to choose just one wait why were they fighting aren't they the same team well with branding a lot of them they're not looking for a response immediately they're trying to build more awareness while with direct response you're trying to get the end person to take some sort of action right now like if you're still watching this video go on and drop that like right on below but these two groups of people were arguing back and forth and there were threads that were just being created another debate is art versus business where some people will say oh it's all about the art others will say no it's all about the business but why not use both, both why not yeah. have art 
that caters to exactly, but the tribal part of the brain wants a this or that answer. Yeah, I think people tend to become cultish too fast, and I have been guilty of this too. You know, I have. Well, I have essentially earlier in my life been so committed to certain opinions that as I have grown older, I have realized that the alternatives also work. Like this is what this thing works, but the alternatives also work. Doesn't it's not that the alternatives don't work. So there are many ways to go about doing the same thing. Like there are many ways to skin a cat. It's just mm-hmm. people pick something, it works for them, so they become really committed to it. And it's essentially like becoming one of those Christians who try to keep inverting you. What do you call them? Missionaries? Mm-hmm. And they come in your face and they keep saying, like, you have a second to talk about Jesus. <laughs> so people become like that. Are there a lot of missionaries in India? Not that many although you keep hearing about missionaries harassing villagers and offering them incentives in the form of money and free things to convert to christianity gotcha and over there it's pretty multicultural right or is it predominantly geared towards one religion it's pretty multicultural. We have two majorities, Hindus and Muslims, but Christians, Jews, and other people also exist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Excellent. India is the most diverse country that is culturally, which is one of its biggest drawbacks, in my opinion. Why drawbacks? Because it makes it extremely difficult to govern a country that is very diverse because the country is fighting with itself. I always thought that India was not that diverse. I thought most people there were Hindus. So I'd learned something new. Hinduism itself is extremely diverse. So a Hindu from one location and a Hindu from a faraway location might both be Hindus, but they might essentially do completely different things. So there are Hindus that are complete vegetarians and don't even eat onion and garlic. And there are Hindu branches of Hinduism which believe in animal sacrifices. So Hinduism is a very versatile religion. It is not centralized like Christianity or Islam where there's one book and everyone follows the same thing. Hinduism has so much variation that it can be argued that the lifestyle a Hindu lives in one state or one location is completely different from the lifestyle a Hindu lives in a different location. So India has a ton of diversity even amongst the same group, you could say. I believe that's the one religion, especially in the West, where People don't know much about it. Where, to be honest, I believe I believe you were speaking about this Arman, recently. Where even in India, people don't know much about Hinduism. The average Indian, the average Hindu, does not know much about Hinduism. 
Did you have a tweet recently where you were you were saying that if there's a book that compiles all the Hindu principles into one, or that you wanted to create one? I I'm not. I don't know. See, even to be honest, I am not that well educated about Hinduism to create a book on it. Although, mm-hmm. if someone is very well educated on it, I would be more than happy to fund a project that does this. I think there are two projects that I want to either do or fund, and one one of them is a complete book on Hinduism, which which would be like the Bible version of Hinduism, which encompasses all or most principles and important parts of Hinduism. And the mm-hmm. other would be a complete history of India from Vedic times to today. All right, folks, if you're listening to this and you know something about it, go on and hit up Life Math Money. Yeah, don't hit me up if you're just a random guy and you don't actually have the knowledge. Really. You have to like be someone who is truly knowledgeable and can demonstrate that knowledge. I know there's a lot of people that get curious about Buddhism. And here's the thing that I noticed, Harsh. Some people do talk about Hinduism, but I don't know if they know it in detail. Where you're right in that one regards where you said a lot of Hindus don't know Hinduism. Because a few of the people, Patels that I know, from my friend circle, I'm like, man, what do the Hindus believe in? I mean, how does it work? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I get this response a lot. So that's one of the, is it a religion or is it more so a lifestyle? It's that's a another thing that people talk about. Okay. It's a dharma, but uh, it's like people, these people are born into a Hindu family and they call themselves Hindu, but they know nothing about Hinduism. So that technically they're not Hindus. Like how would you define a member of your religion? Let's say how would you define a member of Islam? Someone who practices Islam or someone who just calls himself a Muslim? Practices. Exactly. So if someone doesn't even know what the principles of Hinduism are, how can they practice it? And if they're not practicing it, they're not Hindus. So these are just people who are calling themselves Hindus, but they know nothing about Hinduism. And I was like that too. So, you know, no shame in that, man. Like I was in the same group. It's not your fault that you, people are essentially not taught about it. Like Hindu people, it seems like they are not interested in teaching their children about Hinduism. It's something like I read the Ramayana and I had to do it myself. Like no one taught it to me. That is something that I should have been taught because it is, you know, it, it's fundamentally if I am supposed to embody a religion, I'm supposed to learn from it. Well, do you uh, think... It has to be taught to young people it, and it's not taught. Well, you were mentioning that it's an extremely diverse religion. Do you think that's one of the reasons why? Well, even if it's a diverse religion, you can teach whatever version you follow, right? It, it doesn't have to be... You, you should not be left completely in the dark. But I would say that it's because even their parents don't know much about Hinduism. Hmm. And you've been learning more about it recently, right? Yes. I believe I, Very yeah, recently, I remember, like last year, this year. Yeah, I remember you speaking about the Ramayana. Ramayan, is that how you Ramayan, pronounce it? Yes. Yeah, um, 
in one of our episodes, and I believe that was either episode two or episode one. Interesting, it's, Harsh. I'm halfway through it. It's, it's a very enlightening book. I learned quite a bit about Hinduism from it that I did not know before. And, mm-hmm. you know, I come from a Hindu family. So what does that tell you? I just did not know anything before that. Right. I picked up one of your advices where you said, read more autobiographies. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that. And it's great advice. Which ones have you read? So I read Sam Walton's Made in America. And I read Ted Turner's Call Me Ted. And both of those books were huge paradigm shifters in terms of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And it shows hard work. It shows that if you have a vision and you keep working towards it, that changes will happen. And I'm currently reading Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and he's the founder of Nike. Hmm, I've heard of that book. I hear the audiobook is also a very good one of Shoe Dog. Yeah, because you were mentioning that audiobooks are good when it's story format. And this book is pretty much story format. Ah, that's really nice. I'm listening to this book called American Kingpin. And it's about a drug website called the Silk Road. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Silk Road? Yeah, it used to be a website in the darknet. And they were selling drugs and everything, basically. And you would get delivered using the postal system. So apparently it was very convenient and the US government ended up catching the guy who runs it. And not because the US government broke the encryption and everything, but simply because this guy used the same username twice. In the sense that he used the username that he used while building the drug website on mm-hmm. a regular Korean website that was linked to his identity. So he got caught because he reused usernames. So I'm reading the book. It's pretty interesting. I think it's a big lesson to not reuse usernames. And it's an autobiography? It's not an autobiography. It's a regular biography. Oh, okay. And what's it called? American Kingpin. American Kingpin. It's not not exactly a biography. It's a story of how this guy became who he was and how he was caught it's more of a thriller in, in in a sense. And it's about mobsters, right? No, it's about this drug website. Okay, drug website. The I'll check it out. How come you're the not s- heard of it? I thought everyone I'm not. about it. The Silk Road or the American Kingpin? The Silk Road. Oh, man, I mean. Have you ever? Now I know. So I, I remember reading I uh, reading about this on Reddit or something, the whole Silk Road thing. Because this guy got caught and that was mm-hmm. very big news everywhere. I did hear about the dark net before. Is that something that's still out? Oh yeah, it's still or how does that work? Still there. Okay. The dark net is essentially Are you familiar with the Tor browser? The what browser? The Tor browser. Isn't that what allows for bootleg and stuff? Or getting no, ripoffs no, no, of no, 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 no. So the Tor browser is essentially a browser that helps you be completely anonymous on the internet by mm-hmm. 
bouncing your network connection across multiple nodes and this protocol also allows something called the onion network which allows you to mm -hmm. host websites that are, that are like you know you have .com so you have right. .onion and these websites are completely impossible to trace so you can make website about anything so i've there's something called the hidden wiki which is like the entry point and then the hidden wiki has a lot of other websites so usually these websites are about scams and carding people fake cards but there are also a lot of good websites like libraries that have like very rare books like the cia manual i was telling you about earlier mm -hmm. so i used to go to the dark net for this website called the tor library which had a ton of great books I think that website is shut down right now. Like it shut down a long time ago. Right. Is ebooks? Yeah, ebooks. Gotcha. Back to one thing that we were saying earlier. You said that a few of the blogs that you used to read are now shut down. Yep. Do you currently read any particular blogs? Currently, or are I you mainly a creator now? Yeah, I just don't have time to read many blogs. I, I read Bowtie Bull's emails. So I'm, okay. I subscribe to the Substack newsletter called Bowtie Bull. And mm -hmm. I read all of their emails about crypto. It's very informative. I highly recommend it. And that's it. I don't, re I read a lot of books, but not blogs nowadays. I just, I feel like I've transcended the whole, it's all the blogs that I was, was reading was about self-improvement mindset and business mm -hmm. and at this point in my life i do not think that that type of content will add more value to me because i've already taken everything i had to take from there gotcha yeah that was question number three which was what things you be learning and or any sources like blogs Okay, so that was question three from that one gentleman. Let me ask you the fourth question he asked, Harsh, mm -hmm. because I believe you sort of covered it, but not fully in specific. So I'm going to read it from his voice, okay? I'm inspired from him and also 17 years old. So what would be high risk, high reward, or general things to lay a solid foundation for future in terms of career and priorities for a young person? There are almost no high risk things when you're 17. Everything you can do, even the things that you think are high risk are actually low risk because you have so much maneuverability. If you're 17, I would recommend first learn how to code. And you can do that from either free code camp or from the computer science OSSU. So learn how to code. This is extremely important. Learning how to code is like learning how to build things. And if you can build things, any idea you can, you will have, you will actually be able to execute it. So learn how to code. I would say learning copywriting is another big thing. Read a few books on copywriting and copywriting. I'm not talking about the legal copyright trademark thing. I mean, writing advertisements, writing sales pages. So do that. Then keep going to the gym, stay fit, Get strong, keep your health in top shape. 
I think those three things have extremely high returns in life. Coding, copywriting, and staying fit. Lifting weights, strength training, yes. And of course, read a lot of books. Like, read a lot of books. Like this, At this age, at 17, your brain is extremely plastic. So you can like, read a book a week and retain it. That won't happen if you're 40. So use that, this time that you have, and bombard your brain with good information. You should, re- you should be reading a book a week or maybe a book every two weeks, but read a lot and just give yourself as much information as possible. And if you want some recommendations on my website, you can find the book recommendations page and read the books there. I'll drop a I'll drop a link for that in the description box. I liked how you opened all of this, Harsh, where you said when you're 17, a lot of things aren't that high risk. But since you're 17 and you don't know that it's not high risk, due to the uncertainty, it seems like it's high risk. So I'm glad you cut. I'm glad you cut right to the center of the issue. Yeah, the, there's nothing you can do at 17 that's high risk, except maybe you know fucking girls without condoms or you know trying to sm- starting to snort cocaine or something like that. Like those are dumb things to so don't do that. But otherwise, I don't think there are many high risk things. Like you have so much opportunity to recover from even major losses. Just don't do things like getting a girl pregnant and getting married or, you know, getting into a drug or drinking habit. Yeah, and to unlearn that, it takes a long time. I believe we spoke about that in the last episode, the drug addiction part. Yeah, don't, don't, do, don't do the first hit in the first place. See, if you never smoke a cigarette... You will never have to worry about a cigarette addiction. If you never smoke weed, you never have to worry about a weed addiction. So don't do it for the first time. And so you avoid the whole thing completely. And if you guys have any other questions for Harsh, be sure to leave it in the comment section and I'll include it in the episodes. Thank Harsh. You're a a quick thinker where when I ask you these questions, you have these deep responses like you've been expecting it your entire <laughs> life. <laughs> but currently my blood is running out of glucose, so we'll have to end this podcast soon. Okay. You want to start wrapping it up? Yep. So you know, Iron just, uh, for giving everyone context, Arman does this early in the morning and I am here late at night. It's almost 12 p.m. So I need to get some sleep. Yeah, man, I'm sure. I'm surprised we stayed for this long. So mm-hmm. let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys very much for joining this long into the podcast. Any last words, Harsh? No, man. This was, I think, this was one of our better episodes. I really enjoyed doing it. And we got into a lot of topics. So I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I did. And have a good day. For sure, man. And thank you guys for joining the Unapologetic Truths series. Be sure to hit that like, hit that subscribe right on below, and we will catch you on the next episode.